get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Great to have you with us today. We're going to talk to MLB Network's Greg Amzinger at the bottom of this hour. We're going to talk to our friend Jeremy Rutherford about the blues in the 8 o'clock hour and in the 9 o'clock hour. Jeremy Fowler will talk some NFL championship games on uh, Sunday. He, of course, the senior NFL writer for ESPN Dot com and you see him a lot on ESPN TV. Michelle, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, good morning to you. I'm great. Well, could be better if the Blues had come away with a victory last night. But other than yeah. that, well, doing well. Not not great so no. far. You just you, you you hate to play a team like San Jose, and the Blues are clearly better than the Sharks. But they didn't prove that last night. Certainly, in a two-one overtime, two-one shootout loss, and there was never a point in that game where I thought the Blues were going to lose. Not one. Even at the end, until the, the last shootout goal, I never thought the Blues were going to lose the game. That's interesting because I felt that way heading into the shootout. And then once I kept seeing X's on both sides <laughs> go down on the board, that's when I started to think, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to pull this off. And obviously they didn't. The Blues did get on the board first. Braden Shen scoring the first goal of the game in the second period. Here's Cairo into the offensive zone, his teammates changing. Krug picks it up, the Blues score! It was Shen that grabs it through Krug, and he rifles it inside the far post. And the Blues have scored first. That one came at 427 of the second period, but before the second period was out, Martin Sorensen scored for San Jose. A 1-1 game after a scoreless third period. The three-on-three overtime for five minutes is scoreless. And once they get to the fourth round of the shootout, San Jose won it. Hurdle shooting to try and win it for San Jose. He brings it in. He deeks. He shoots. He scores. Stick side over the pad. And the Sharks get the two points tonight. The Blues get one. And the Blues lose in the game 2-1. to one. Tough way to lose it, especially after Jordan Bennington had such a solid performance for you last night. That was my final thought from the game was Jordan Bennington didn't deserve to lose that game in that fashion. No, he sure didn't. And the Blues still struggling dramatically with penalties for whatever reason. Uh, They just keep taking penalties. Last night it was seven more, and at least they didn't allow a power play goal. Five power play opportunities for the Blues, and they weren't able to get on the board on the power play. And Craig Bruby was asked after the game about the struggles the Blues are having getting into the box. Yeah, PK killed off seven penalties. I mean, two five on threes. It's ridiculous, the penalties. But, you know, we, we can't go to the box that much. It's, it's really hard on people. It's hard on our team. Can't get to our game because of it. I don't know where we're at in the league right now penalty-wise. Might be leading the league. Yeah, I think so. They're actually second behind Toronto. 22 total on the season. Okay. But he, but Chief is absolutely right. If you're struggling on special teams, you want to stay out of the box. And also, how are you going to ever get into a rhythm and find your game if there's disruptions all the time and you keep going to the box? Ridiculous. And 
it's penalties where it's just a lack of effort. It's hooking penalties. It's holding penalties. It's mental mistakes like too many men on the ice, a couple of slashings. It's not the kind of penalties that a team that's really trying hard takes on a regular basis. And that's one of the issues here is that the effort five on five just isn't strong enough. But at least the penalty kill was better. Yeah, yeah, like that. We'll, we'll take that. Positives. Yeah. Four straight games, though, to start the season without a power play goal. John Kelly had the stat last night. First time since 1977-78. I was in high school. Wow. Last time Blues went the first four games of the season without without a power play goal. We did predict, Randy, that the Blues power play would be lethal. We just didn't think it would be against the Blues. Them. right. <laughs> and so the Blues win the first game against Colorado, lose the second game, win the first game against San Jose lose the second here's Braden Shen you know I, I just think it's you know yeah usually it's you, you win a game you move on you lose a game you move on but and now it's uh, kind of whoever uh, wins that first game the second team comes out they're hungry they're desperate uh, they're not looking to, to get swept in, in a series and uh, you know it's, it's it's no different than kind of like a playoff so where you know when you win game one it's hard to win game two and, and uh, that's kind of how it's going to go all year so um, you know teams adapt teams adjust teams come hard uh, when you know, they lose that first one, and, and uh, you've seen a lot, around, a lot around the league right now that, you know, a lot of splits and, and you know, teams grabbing points on, on back-to-backs. Got to match that desperation in the second game. Yeah, we knew each game would have a different weight based on the construction of the schedule this season, but Shenner's absolutely right. There is going to be a different sense of urgency when you're playing teams back-to-back and you're not used to that. It does have a playoff feel. Even from a fan's perspective, it does have a playoff feel when you're seeing one team back-to-back. And hopefully this is something that the Blues can adjust to or they can just keep that same intensity and that same energy throughout every game. But it seems as if when they have beaten a team, the team comes out the next night and is desperate. They have a different sense of urgency. So the Blues are going to have to pick it up when they win that. First game. Now the Blues spent about twenty percent of the game shorthanded. They were outshot thirty-eight to twenty-three. One of the things that happens when you're shorthanded: number one, you don't have your best offensive players on the ice many times, and number two, you expend so much energy killing off penalties that you don't have enough once you are five on five to perform well in the offensive zone. And that's prevented the Blues players that have some skill, guys like Kairou who had one shot last night, Hoffman. And uh, when you look at his overall season, he's off to a rough start. He had two shots on goal. Those guys don't get many opportunities because they're spending their time on the bench when the players that took the penalties are in the box. Hearing Craig Berube's tone about the penalties, I imagine that this is going to be something that's drilled into them at practice. Two days of practice, too. And this is the only time for a month that the Blues will have two full days of practice. I would imagine that they might skate today. I would think so. And skate and skate. Don't and you do think they, they should? Yeah. And not not a punishing skate, but it's not going to be like a walkthrough or or just a, a game day skate. I would think that there will be some serious attention to detail today. Well, he, hearing the quotes after the game from a lot of the players, they know that last night's effort wasn't good enough. They know that there are some factors missing from their game. And yes, it's early in the season and we had a, a weird training camp for them. You only had 10 days to get up mm-hmm. to speed. There are new players on the team. You're missing veteran players that you were used to. So I would imagine that you'd want to get out on the ice and have another day with your teammates to figure out the kinks and try to iron out some of the issues that you've seen develop on the ice. Next Blues game Saturday against the Kings, Saturday and Sunday they play against the Kings. The NFL Championship weekend is coming up, both games on Sunday. 
the quarterback for the world champion, the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, did participate all throughout practice yesterday. He remains in concussion protocol, but he's going to play. Andy Reid didn't say what phase that Mahomes is in of the five-step process to be cleared to play, but the NFL is not going to not clear Patrick Mahomes to play in a championship game. I think I heard this morning on Keyshawn Jay and Zubin that he's in step four, or they believe okay. he may be in step four. So if it's Thursday, if yesterday was Wednesday and you're on step four, I would imagine come Sunday that you would be cleared to play. Right? Yeah. You one would think. Yeah. They'll, they'll, find a way to make him to get him to play and even though the reports coming out of kansas city were that he didn't necessarily deal with a concussion i wonder how concerned they are about what he's dealing with with his foot with i his think toe. that's a bigger issue i think actually. it's a, bi- a bigger issue too and i think because of the concussion protocol a lot of people aren't talking about it as much or maybe not as much information has been released because everyone is worried about his availability to play based on the protocol but i wonder how severe that toe issue is What's the most important ability, Michelle? Availability, Randy. You better be there. Chad Henney's not winning a championship game against Buffalo. All well, due respect to Chad Henney. We He's... did say that about Nick Foles. Yeah, we did. So anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. Yeah, when Nick Foles made a deal with somebody, it was kind of a nefarious transaction. Sam Cronkey? Maybe the devil. Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah, same yeah. guy. One, one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, after I watch Nick Foles light the world on fire in the, in the postseason and get to win a Super Bowl for the Eagles, anything is possible, <laughs> especially with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and all the weapons that they have. However, I don't like their chances as much, obviously, with Chad Henney, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think we're going to see Patrick Mahomes out yep. there on Sunday, and I certainly hope we do. The Billikens are not going to play on Saturday. Their next scheduled game, Tuesday, January 26th, against Dayton at Chaffetz Arena. They are back on the court, which is a good thing, but their next game, and they haven't played now in almost a month. Their last game was December 23rd. So it'll be good to have them back on the court next week. The Carolina Hurricanes, Michelle, have postponed their games through Saturday due to COVID tests. We already know about Dallas. They haven't mm-hmm. played a game yet in the NHL this season. And now Carolina struck by COVID-19, too. As we know in St. Louis, after we saw the Cardinals go through this, there are many tentacles to an outbreak. And I wonder about these teams not only having to take a pause, what that does for your development as a team from a chemistry standpoint, what it does for your body when you're, especially for hockey players, getting mm-hmm. out there and, and skating and finding that rhythm again. But the mental toll that it takes on these players to not be around their teammates in the manner in which they're used to. Right. And, and having that pause mentally is really tough. I think specifically to the Billikens, and what that has to be like for these young men, for these collegiate athletes to just be sitting and waiting and wanting to play and not being able to. That has to be very difficult. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN, Philip Rivers called it quits yesterday after a great career as a quarterback in the NFL. You've seen him on the sidelines a lot, but when you put everything together, is he the trash-talking goat? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Phil-
Phillip Rivers, San Diego Chargers, L.A. Chargers, Indianapolis Colts announced his retirement from football yesterday. One of the best quarterbacks of all time. And even though he does not have a Super Bowl ring, he is one of the greatest trash talkers of all time. Can't play with 12, Greg! Hey, Greg, you can only play with 11, Greg! JT, don't dance with him. Run him over. Don't dance with him. You weren't even close to making that play. You got a hand on it. You weren't even close. Hey, pooch kick right over here at you, nine nine. Hey, they got a little blistered things. Awesome. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, honey. Oh. Whoop. Whoop. Oh, ah, baby. Golly. Uh oh. Shoot. Oh my gosh. Shoot. That goes. Aggravates the stew out of me. Sheesh. He was, especially earlier in his career. He, he was a, a chirper throughout the course of the game. Aggravates the stew out of me. <laughs> what a good one. Did you see the tweet from J.J. Watt yesterday along these lines? Mm-hmm. So Philip Rivers, trash talker, but in a very interesting and different way. J.J. Watt tweeted, I'll never forget lining up for a play and Phil pointing to one of our linebackers and telling him he was lined up wrong based off the blitz we were about to run and being 100% correct about it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Imagine if Philip Rivers is yelling at you that you're lined up wrong and you think he's trying to mess with you and then you realize that you are and he knows what you're supposed to be doing better than you do. Yeah. It's amazing. There were and have been so many great trash talkers in the history of sports. And there's one that stands above everybody else. It's Muhammad Ali. Of course. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah. Uh, But there have been some low-key ones. I was telling you that Isaac Bruce was really well-known among opponents for trash-talking cornerbacks and telling them that he was going to beat them and then going out and beating them. And you've got the quiet, demure Isaac, and you never think that he would be a big-time trash talker, but one of the biggest and best. That is so shocking to me because anyone who's ever heard Isaac Bruce speak or seen an interview with him or perhaps met him in person, he is such a kind man, and he's so classy and regal and gentle in a way, He, the way he speaks. Mm-hmm. I just cannot imagine him dissing anyone. The personality changed on the football field. For the great ones, it often does. Yeah, I remember a game that the Rams came back and won in Seattle in 2004. Not the playoff game, but the regular season game. And Seattle was just getting good, and they were starting to feel it a little bit, and they had the new stadium and everything. And Isaac grabs his helmet after the game, goes to the end zone. The fans are still there, puts his helmet down, puts his one foot on it, crosses his arms, and just looks up into the into the crowd like, yeah, we, we won. You still have to come through St. Louis. I'm sure the 12s love that. Oh, big time. I'm sure they yeah. really love that. <laughs> when you think about trash talkers, you initially, of course, think of boxers and wide receivers. So even though yeah. Isaac is someone that I wouldn't expect to be a trash talker, he's a wide receiver. He fits the mold. You, of course, have Ocho Cinco and you have T.O. You have Randy Moss. So I'm not surprised to put Isaac Bruce in that category. And you, one of the things that's fun about trash talk at times is when the guy gets shut up. And oh, yeah. There was a, a guy for the Falcons and one more football one with the, the old Rams, a guy named Chuck Smith, a defensive end, who was chirping at Orlando, t- oh. saying, uh, you know, uh, you're nothing. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. And this was Orlando's rookie year, and he got him. The next year when they meet, because Atlanta was in the same division, 
he started saying the same thing at the beginning of the game, and Orlando basically ended his career that day. <laughs> <laughs> he had no chance, and he, Orlando treated him like a little boy trying to pass rush against him. Of all bears, you're going to poke? I know. Maybe not, Orlando Pace. <laughs> yeah. Maybe pick your poison a little bit better. Yeah. Wow, that was brave. That was brave. Yeah. But and or- Chuck Smith, is. I think he's still on the radio in Atlanta, so he loved to talk and still loves to talk. But, man, that was a, a rough day for him. In fact, I had him on a show one time and asked him about it, and he wouldn't talk about it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's buried it deep within his yeah. brain. He does not want to acknowledge it or speak of yeah. it. I wouldn't either. If I went out there and I trash talk somebody and they absolutely destroyed me, I would just say I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. Yeah. That didn't even happen. We're just going to free Like Jordan Bennington in the bubble. We're just not going to talk about it ever again. One more NFL one for me in recent memory. I can't remember people talking really as much as Richard Sherman did for a long time. He was a prolific trash talker. I just always think back to that moment when Aaron Andrews was interviewing him after that Michael Crabtree incident. He said, don't you ever talk about me. I'm the best corner in the game. Who's talking about you? (laughs) Who's talking about you? Crabtree. (laughs) L-O-B. Don't you ever talk about me. Can you imagine what it must have been like? And I wish they had mic'd up in the NHL. Can you imagine how good Kelly Chase must have been as a trash talker? Probably the best. Prolific. Yeah. If you could trash talk any athlete, present, past, who would it be? Oh, this is good. Uh, One of the... Let me think about this. Okay, I'll give you mine. Okay, who would it be? I would love to trash talk Brad Marchand. (laughs) <laughs> He's such a pest. He gets under people's skin. I would love to be the person that got under his skin. Go and cry to mom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that would be a really good call. Um, I, I was thinking Brian Marchman. I, I, you know what? Probably Patrick Kane. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, blues fans trash talked him. So they, they were pretty good. Yeah. So. We want to hear from people, too. 65780. What athlete do you want to trash talk, if you could? And I played a video for you earlier, and if you have a chance during the day and you think about it, just do a search for Larry Bird, Xavier McDaniel. Because Larry Bird, in the NBA, as great as Michael was as a trash talker, Larry Bird was epic and would tell people what he was going to do and then do it. And like going into the, before the very first NBA three-point competition, uh, legend has it that he goes into the locker room and he's sitting down, he's getting dressed, he leans down to tie his shoes and says, so who's getting the second place check for the very first three-point shooting competition ever? And then he won it. But in this particular instance with Xavier McDaniel, he, with five seconds left in the game, tells the coach Casey Jones, hey, just tell everybody to clear out. Let me have this one. Then he tells Xavier McDaniel, I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to shoot it in your face. And then they come out, and lo and behold, he shoots it right in Xavier McDaniel's face and hits a game-winning shot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you think he really was worse than Michael Jordan? Because after watching The Last Dance, I can't imagine anyone talking more trash than Michael Jordan, even to his own teammates. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, in practice, he he was relentless on those guys. Who was, it's escaping my mind, who was the, the person that he picked was on? Was it Scott Burrell? Was it Scott Burrell? I think you might be right. Oh, Steve Kerr, too. He, he yeah. picked on Steve Kerr a lot in the last dance. But if you're Michael Jordan, you're the only person. You know that you're the only person on the floor that can say whatever you want and no one can really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You're that good. That's pretty cool.
Uh, we get this text. This was kind of reversed roles, but uh, when Seabrook told David Backus, wakey, wakey, oh. does it count when you trash talk somebody who's completely incoherent, though? No, absolutely not. After you delivered not. a cheap shot. That is such a bad play. That is such bad form. Yeah. Do you remember how Niger Morgan would trash talk the Cardinals? Alberta? How could I ever yeah. forget? But just like you would poke the bear with our Orlando Pace, why would you ever poke the bear in Albert Pujols? What are you thinking? Have you not, not seen the man play? Yeah, not, not smart. Not smart. Yeah. Not smart. A couple of other ones. Floyd Mayweather Jr., the, that from the 314. Yeah, he pretty much says what he's going to do and then winds up doing it. And uh, Steve Ott, Otter, when the Blues got him, he's one of those guys that you hate to have on the other team, but you love have on, having on your team. Yeah. And Otter was absolutely a, a guy that would chirp at the other team. I would also like to do reverse psychology trash talk like Andrew Luck did, where yeah. you just be super positive to everyone and compliment them, which is disconcerting. You'd get up to the line of scrimmage and be like, hey, great, great job today. You look great. Have you mm-hmm. lost some weight? Are you on the keto diet? You look amazing. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Whenever he would get sacked, hey, good hit, good play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that did, they interviewed people about that, the, the NFL Network, and that did get in people's head. They say, well, what's this guy thinking? <laughs> one more from the 314. Okay. I love this one. Another top moment, Pat Maroon telling the entire Bruce bench, you guys are bleeped. Yep. That's an iconic St. Louis trash talk moment. That was epic. That was great. I'll never forget that. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, a lot going on in baseball, if not with the Cardinals. We'll talk about it with Greg Amsinger of MLB Network next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you, Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and... The lead anchor for MLB Network happens to be a native St. Louis and a product of the Lindenwood University. The one and only Greg Amzinger is with us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I was, I was on last night um, watching the rear of the show because TV hosts tend to do that from time to time. And um, <laughs> doing some corny segment on presidential last names and how they impacted uh, baseball. And it got me thinking, you know, I do a lot of corny segments and I'm not saying this is why I do this, but this really motivated this part of my career. I remember being a young radio producer working at KMOX radio and, and the great Randy character did a, an ongoing segment of a Cardinal survivor Island. And it got everyone in St. Louis stirred up. Who's going to be left on the Island with Stan, the man will it be Enos slaughter, Rogers Hornsby. And this became like a real thing. And people cared. Do you remember this? I remember that. Yep. They were so into it. Your creative mind, just making something up has impacted my, my career, my friend. I'm glad to hear that. Now I was watching the blues game, unfortunately, so I didn't get a chance to see that segment. Who are some of the names in baseball impacted by presidential names? <laughs> well, uh, you know, Woodrow Wilson, a president, uh, number four on my list was, Mookie Wilson grounding the ball through Buckner's legs. Um, you know, President Jackson in 1977 hit three home runs. 
uh, in one World Series game. So that was that was a big deal. Uh, number two, you would think this would be number one because of George Washington, but it was number two because Washington uh, beat the Astros to win the World Series, and they did that with four wins on the road. So that was important. Mm-hmm. So Washington winning uh, the World Series. But number one, I mean, we all love Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, hitting a ball down the line off Mitch Williams to not just win a World Series game, but to win the World Series was number one on my list of 10 impactful moments. We won't have time for all 10. I just gave you the top four. That's beautiful. Yeah, all we need is a top four, Greg. They were great. <laughs> I want to circle back, though, to Survivor Island because I think it's a pretty good analogy for the National League Central right now. And the Cardinals may be the last team standing on the island by not doing anything at all. It's true. They they have the pitching depth and the bullpen arms to win the division. Uh, they don't necessarily need to score more than four runs a game. The question is, can they do that? <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's some speculation that this lineup, if a couple pieces don't click, uh, they might have a hard time. Now, Dylan Carlson is going to have to become a guy. He's going to have to become an everyday force in the middle of the order. That's a lot to put on the shoulders of a young player who's never truly found his stride yet. Uh, you know, we can talk about Yadier Molina. We do it all the time regarding the St. Louis Cardinals, but he is still a make contact clutch bat that hits somewhere in the middle of the batting order that you're taking away uh, of a lineup that already saw the wounds of losing to Marcelo Zuna the year before. So, they don't have a lot of offensive firepower. That's not going to change. I don't believe they're going to add a signature bat that's going to make this lineup go, whoa, like the Toronto Blue Jays did the other day with George Springer. But the arms are so deep, and a kid like Matthew Liberatore, who's right on the cusp of being one of the top two or three starters in the rotation down the line, they've got young, talented players in their farm system. The Cardinals are sitting pat back and just watching a division that's coming to them. You know, I I love watching all sports, and my favorite NBA team right now is the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving came back and played with Harden and Durant. And I'm sitting there watching the game with my son, and I go, you know, James Harden lets the game somewhat come to him. Kyrie is trying to force himself into the game early on. He didn't miss any shots, but he was forcing himself, and the game didn't have any flow. The Cardinals are letting the game come to them because no one in the Central is pushing him over right now. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Greg, I have a, uh, I'm going to put you in Brian Cashman's shoes, and I want you to answer a question for me. Why would you sign Corey Kluber to a one-year contract for $11 million? He's taken the ball eight times in the last two years. He's 34 years old. Why would you give him that money rather than Adam Wainwright, who's taken the ball 38 times in the last couple of years? Granted, he's five years older. But I, I would feel better about Adam Wainwright in 2021 than I would about Corey Kluber. Well, you're looking at it from the human perspective because you've watched Adam Wainwright compete and the numbers that jump off the screen or off the page to you are our game started, you know, durability. You've seen the big moments where he hugs you out of your Molina after a complete game shutout. Your mind is connected to his success on the field. Brian Cashman is being led by a bunch of, you know, employees who are showing him spin rates, showing him all different kinds of analytics that are leading him to believe that if Corey Kluber is healthy, uh, the way he was spinning the ball before he went down with injury and didn't even pitch a full game uh, last year, that if he's healthy, this is what you're getting. And it's not just Brian Cashman's employees in his front office. It's Corey Kluber's representation. You're seeing a lot of these guys, 
I mean, let's think about this for a second. Who would you rather have, Corey Kluber or John Lester? John Lester did he pitch. He pitched last year. Corey Kluber did not pitch last year, right? And he got one year, eleven million. I know Lester's deal is incentive based, but he got one year, two million. And guess what's going to happen? John Lester is going to pitch all the time, mm-hmm. all year for the Washington Nationals as their number four starter. But he doesn't have the analytics on his side that his representation can hand to the Washington Nationals and say, this is why I'm worth more. I mean, he, I mean, Jay Happ is worth more than, than John Lester at the age of 37 or 38. Are you kidding me? I, you can't even compare those two pitchers. So uh, we're looking at it from the, the fan perspective of, wow, this guy's a grinder. This guy gets out and performs. And we're not looking at it like Joe Musgrove looks at himself. I interviewed Joe Musgrove yesterday. And when your K per nine goes from eight to 12 and a half, which is what Joe Musgrove did uh, between 2019 and 2020, even the pitchers know the analytics now, and they know their worth. They know they're coveted. So it's, it's a completely different way of, of viewing success, even when you don't even pitch a game like Corey Kluber last year. Greg, let's stay in the AL East. George Springer heading to Toronto. Where does that move place them, in your opinion, in the division? Man, I, I, I knew this team was going to be aggressive in the winter. Uh, the pandemic did not mess with Rogers communication. They monopolized communication in that entire country. So they are doing well financially. Um, that said, they clearly need to focus more on the rotation after this. Uh, the talk of Michael Brantley going there got everybody excited. But that was a false report. He ended up going back to the Houston Astros. I love the signing. Uh, it's huge to beat out another major market like the New York Mets, knowing the guys from Connecticut close by that Springer chose Toronto instead of the New York Mets. I, I got into this yesterday on the show. I love it. I just can't have the oldest guy on my team uh, be a, he's 31. He's going to be sent a, a six year contract to be a 36 year old center fielder that can move, but I, I can't have him lead off. You know, this guy's been in big moments, big games, uh, an incredible postseason player. I, I need the young guys in front of him. I don't want George Springer, the only guy in the lineup over 30 or at 30 or older, as my leadoff guy. So I feel like his role is going to have to change a little bit to drive in runs and get these guys more pitches to hit these young cats that are, are so exciting to watch. BGO should be leading off good on base. Then Bichette. Then Springer. Then give me Guerrero. Then Teoscar Hernandez. But I don't want him leading off. And then all these other guys with a lot of swing and miss in their game behind them. So they'll figure that out. I think they're not done. I, I'm telling you, this is a team. I wouldn't be shocked if Trevor Bauer landed there. I would not be surprised hmm. at all. If they choose not to do that, uh, don't be surprised if Taiwan Walker goes back there. Because remember, he was really good when they acquired him uh, last year. He's only 28 years old, and the guy's still a physical specimen. So they're not done, and, and they're my early pick to go to the World Series. Uh, I got Padres, Blue Jays, World Series. And this is a guy, by the way, Greg Amzer, you know, that picked the Rays to go to the World Series in 2020. Are, do you get concerned, and maybe this is just you talk about zeroing in and having a narrow focus, but I look at what happened to Matt Carpenter after the Cardinals took him out of leadoff and tried to put Dexter Fowler in the leadoff spot. Matt Carpenter was one of the half dozen best leadoff hitters since 1960, but you put him in the the three hole and he just couldn't hit anymore. I know that Springer has had success hitting second, but he's been one of the great leadoff hitters over the last four or five years. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. But when you're paying a guy six years, $150 million, 
his home run needs to be worth more than one. <laughs> and, yeah. and I know, and I know, you know, he only leaves off once in a game, but we saw the impact. And Freddie Freeman speaks to it all the time. His MVP season last year was created in large part by having the, the best protection on the on deck circle he's ever had in in Marcelo Zuna. To have Ozuna have the year he had and be behind Freddie Freeman, he'll tell you the pitches that he received completely changed. And this is when he was rolling. I mean, you couldn't get Freddie Freeman out. To have a young buck like Acuna get on base, to have the protection behind you, I mean, this is the makings of what the Blue Jays could potentially have. And I'm not seeing that, that young player. I mean, if Laddie Guerrero Jr., it was evolving at, at, at a faster rate. And I feel like that's unfair to say because he's still so young uh, and he's committed to getting himself in better shape. He's in much better shape right now for the 2021 season. But some of these guys are going to have to hit. I'm fine with leaving him in the leadoff spot right now, but he's been around. He's got pedigree. You know, he can work counts. You're going to have to get some of these young guys to, 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 to benefit from having a $150 million bat in the lineup. And it can't be the nine hole hitter. Great. I wanted to ask you about the news in baseball this week, the big headline coming out of New York with the Mets and Jared Porter being fired after his gross behavior, sending explicit text messages to a reporter was revealed. The Mets acted swiftly in firing Porter, and they say they're not going to hire a replacement in the short term. But where do you think they go from here? Do you think their assistant GM, Zach Scott, who did interview for the GM job, is eventually going to be the guy? Yeah, I don't think they're going to go with a new GM. Sandy Alderson came out and you know was adamant that he didn't want to hire a president of baseball operations. I mean, he's done every single spoke of the front office ladder in his career. 73 years old, uh, still has a ton of energy to do this, loves the organization. He's worked in the league office. He's got a great relationship uh, with all of the owners. And uh, This is a guy that, that has you know, standing. What I think they need to do, to be quite honest with you, is bring in a business mind to be the CEO of this organization, which I think Steve Cohen is a smart guy. Obviously the owner of the Mets will eventually do, but to have Sandy running the business of this organization and the, the, the roster transactions seems to be a lot. Sandy wants to focus more on the baseball side. Uh, I think that's what they're going to eventually do. They're going to stay in house. Um, but yeah, what a topsy turvy, weird, weird winter for this Mets organization. Uh, just when you get all the excitement of, um, that was getting, you know, signing anybody that they've signed, making moves. You have Robbie Cano, PED, lost for the year. Then all of a sudden, wow, they get uh, Francisco Lindor. This is amazing. What a blockbuster trade. And Carrasco. And now this, um, you know, unfortunately, this is one of those teams that just seems to be snake bitten with bad luck. And that's the way I view this. Like, as you said, they swiftly acted when they found out. Um, but I've I got so many questions. I, and, and there are questions that you really can't get into on TV. Um, but you know, the way you know, a media organization has a story and you know, a team is interviewing this guy, uh, for years, this guy's been moving up the ranks and to hold on to that. I understand because the victim doesn't want to come out and, but wow, that's a back and forth thing. It's just, to me, that is just, that's knowing something about a human being and quietly watching this guy gain more and more power along the way. Um, I just had a million questions when I found out, uh, and we're going to get a lot more clarity. Trust me. This is a story that's not over. Greg Amzinger, one more thing. Eight years ago, because of the biogenesis scandal, Alex Rodriguez was suspended by baseball for 211 games. <laughs> Yesterday, he was on the stage with his fiance J-Lo, for the presidential inauguration. <laughs> Greatest uh, comeback ever? 
without a doubt. I, I mean, wow. I, he needs he needs to create his own business, uh, crisis management with Alex Rodriguez. For real, <laughs> I don't know how he did this. Uh, seriously, I mean, this is this is the the number one ambassador of baseball. Uh, when baseball had a game in in England, he was on the president's private or the uh, commissioner's private jet as the only former baseball player to hey welcome to Major League Baseball, America's pastime. Here's our great ambassador, Alex Rodriguez. It's mind-boggling <laughs> to me. It's mind-boggling. He's, he's, ch- he's, he's having chuckles with Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And I'm like, what is this teaching our youth? I, I don't know if this is good. I just don't. But, hey, you know, Alex Rodriguez and I are never going to go on vacation together. So that's that's out there. We all know that. But... Yeah, I, I don't worry. I, I snapped a bunch of screen grabs on my phone when I saw it while I was watching it live, and I passed it around to my friends. <laughs> Beautiful. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Uh, all right. You too. Take care, guys. See you, man. Take care. That is Greg Amzinger, MLB Network. I'm 101 ESPN. You go from kissing yourself in a mirror, that iconic photo mm-hmm. of A-Rod, being known as the biggest narcissist and liar. The centaur. The, yeah, the yeah. centaur photo or painting, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Everyone hates you. Everyone thinks you're a liar and a cheater and a jerk. And then all of a sudden, things turn around. You're on the set during the World Series in a very prominent broadcasting role. You're, as Greg mentioned, all of a sudden, an ambassador of the game again. You're engaged to one of the most beautiful, talented, and successful women in the world. And you're at the Super Bowl with her. You're at the inauguration with her. He's got access to everything now, and people adore him again. It's weird. It's a very weird thing, but best comeback ever. And like Greg said, somebody could take some lessons in crisis management from Alex Rodriguez. But not everybody can just hitch themselves to a J-Lo. No, unfortunately. And she did a lot for his image. Yeah, no doubt about it. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle is here. Emily is here. Randy is here. And, Michelle, I'll get things started. Uh, A little consternation in New England over the success of Tom Brady with the Buccaneers. Somebody in New England expressed joy on Instagram over the success of Brady and the Bucks. And uh, Linda Holiday girlfriend of Bill Belichick responded on Instagram and you have all the answers evidently Tom didn't score last night not once defense won that game were you even watching on the other hand I am happy for Tom's career why can't you be Uh, take it or leave it she should probably butt out here I'm going to take it. (laughs) I understand why she would want to get involved and speak her piece because she's on the inside. She is hearing things that probably no one else is. She's got the ear of Bill Belichick or Bill Belichick has her ear, Mm -hmm. I should say. So I can imagine that she would want to flex her insider knowledge. But yeah, I probably wouldn't say anything. And by the way, uh, Brady did have the uh, three touchdowns and almost 400 yards passing. So oh, he, yeah, that too. So maybe she should, if she's Belichick's girlfriend, maybe she should learn a little football. I don't know if she needs to. Oh, she gets, hey, she's she, shoebox fulls of cash. She doesn't <laughs> need to. I can imagine that someone like Bill Belichick, who his entire life is football, 
when he spends time with his significant other, might not want to talk X's and O's. Yeah, true. Good point. <laughs> I could imagine he might want to have some downtime from from the game. On the boat, what is it, six rings? Yes. So. Yeah. That's such a flex, gosh. A big time, yeah. Big time Changes flex. it every time he wins another one. Take it or leave it. He never changes the name of that boat again. Take it. <laughs> I'm going to take it, too. Okay, Randy, so the Nets and their big three of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving were together last night for the first time. Double overtime loss to the Cavs, 147 to 135. And Kevin Durant had this to say after the game of playing with Harden and Irving. It felt right. It felt perfect. Felt like we belonged together. It felt like just joining together is going to be fun. It was a tough start, especially it was an up and down game for us. Durant had 38 points, Irving 37, Harden 21. Take it or leave it. That sentiment does not last one month. I will take that. Yeah. And if it feels right when you lose to Cleveland, then that's a problem. But yeah, there's no way that when you have Kyrie shooting as much as he did and Harden shooting as much as he did, that is not going to be something that Harden is going to be happy with. Somebody's going to be unhappy there. Yeah, it's not going to sound like a Mariah Carey song for long. I can tell you that. The we belong together thing is going to go by the wayside quickly. That's my prediction. Emily, what do you got for us? All right. From the 636, last week, Mike Shannon announced he would be retiring after this season. Take it or leave it, he should be inducted into Cooperstown. I'm going to take it. I think it's going to be hard, though, because there are so many local broadcasters that probably will get in ahead of him. So maybe at some point he does, but I think there's uh, there's probably a waiting list of really talented broadcasters ahead of Mike. How many of them have the longevity that he's had, though, in one market? I know a lot of broadcasters tend to stay in that job. It's a very coveted job once you get uh, Mm -hmm. a local team broadcasting job. You, you keep it as long as you can. But he's been in the booth for, what, 50 years? Right. It's incredible. Yeah, the, the the level of longevity is really impressive. And the way they do it now is they do a national broadcaster one year and then a local broadcaster the year after that. And so this year was uh, a national broadcaster. And like I said, you just I, I hope that he does. I just don't know if he's going to get inducted into or win that award, the Ford Frick Award, simply based on the fact that he's been around a long time. All right. Also from the 636, Goldie is the only Cardinal with 20 plus home runs this season. I'm going to leave that. If they play 162, I think DeYoung gets to 20. I was going to say the same thing, but those are the only two names I'm putting on that list. And Carlson is a maybe? Um, it's a hopefully, but I don't yeah. I don't know what to expect. No, out of I him. don't either. And, and I do think baseball... <laughs> has a tendency to catch up to people, to young players. As Greg Amzinger said, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young player's shoulder, that he's going to need to develop into an everyday reliable player for them. And we know that there's growing pains sometimes with young players. So I hope that because he's a coach's son and he seems to be a player who has a lot of confidence and has his head on his shoulder, especially after he came back Mm -hmm. last season, I I don't know that I can guarantee that or expect that. Certainly not. (laughs) All right, from the 618, Binner plays 50 games this season. Leave it. They're only playing 56. Yeah, there's no way. Leave it. So he might get to 45, though. Could be a lot. 45 seems like a lot. They only have nine back, I think eight or nine back to backs. 
And if they just play him every other night and then on the back-to-backs play Huso, it, uh, I could see them maybe playing him 45 over the course of two and a half months. All right. Uh, from the 636, after his great game last night, Nico Mikola becomes a regular roster player the rest of the season. Ooh, good. I'm gonna I'm gonna take regular roster player. I don't know if he'll be in the lineup every night, Michelle, but he's a pretty good player and could wind up being a penalty killer that the Blues need. So uh, I'm gonna take that he'll wind up staying on the roster if healthy for the rest of the year. There seems to be a young player or maybe a new face on the Blues that almost every game elicits the eye emoji from me mm-hmm. that I want to tweet. Ooh, Nico Mikola. Like in the first period last night, I almost tweeted the eye emoji from him the way I did Robert Thomas in the first game and Jordan Cairo in the third game. And I, I agree. I think he's going to be a regular roster player who is probably deserving of more opportunities. And they need that guy. He can move. He's big. He can play on the... PK. And once we get fans back in the stands and he does something good, everybody's going to chant, Mikola! Great name to chant. Yeah, it is. And we need a horn action with that, too. Yes, we do. Yeah. I'm sure the great people at Enterprise will get on that, but this just seems like a no-brainer. Easy. (laughs) All right. Let's see. From the 573, the Rams leaving St. Louis made the Cardinals more conservative as they only have to compete with the Blues for expendable income. I'm going to leave that because the the Rams weren't much of a competitor, and the Cardinals knew that that they were they they were on their way out, and they weren't trying either. So no, I, I don't think it was that. I I just think the game has changed, Michelle. I think this is all about analytics. Mm-hmm. I think analytics have allowed teams to, and it's not just the Cardinals; it's everybody to put a number on a player, and then and every a lot of teams have the same numbers. Four players, and that's the the sort of money that player is going to get. And I, there's no more emotion left in signing baseball players. It's all based upon your algorithms and your analytics. And I think that's what's happened with the Cardinals and a lot of teams. And I think specifically to right now, it's pandemolytics. It's yeah. pandemic money. We're looking at the numbers about the money and the lack thereof, and they're hesitant to make a move. But I don't know if the Rams leaving really has anything to do with it because the Cardinals, for the majority of the Rams' tenure in St. Louis, were still the biggest thing in town. Right. Thank you very much, Emily. We appreciate it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Jordan Bennington was really good last night. How good can he be this season? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Our uh, semi-annual weather report from Carriker and Smallman <laughs> on 101 ESPN. We uh, need an update. Michelle, a high of 54 today, low of 27. Tomorrow, a high of 36 and a low of 19. Ugh. 19 degrees tomorrow. Yikes. So we're going from a high of 50s to a low of 19. St. Louis, welcome. I yeah. know I know what happens. It is St. Louis. You can never predict the weather here. But anytime something like this happens, and I've lived here the majority of my life, Randy, I'm not prepared for it. I'm never prepared to go from 50 degrees to 19. One time, I think it was in the early 80s, the Cardinals' home opener in April was snowed out. And then it was like 64 the next day, and they played. 
ridiculous. It's crazy. Unbelievable. But it happens. If that's St. Louis. Yeah. Hey, we had Anthony Stewart, former NHL player, on the show earlier in the week. And because of the reaction, and it's a varied reaction, to what Jordan Binnington can be, we asked him about it. You know, the the Athletic did their piece. They had him in the middle of the pack. We see the guy play, and we say, yeah, no, he's a really good goalie. And Anthony Stewart has some inside knowledge, and here's what he had to say. Well, I actually had the chance to be on the ice with Bennington this offseason because uh, I'm actually good friends with Andy Kyoto, who's a summer goaltending coach. And when I say there's not a more dialed-in goaltender uh, in the National Hockey League, I mean, I mean it. You know, I've seen certain, uh, you know, exercises where there's no pucks on the ice. They're just working on movement, working on angles. They're going and check the iPad. So they're micromanaging that position to a T. And I think it, he's going to be one of the top goalies in National Hockey just based on what I'm seeing him on the ice with the pros. In practice, he's battling for every second, third opportunity puck. And to be doing that as a Stanley Cup champion, working like you're a rookie in the league, uh, for me, I think he's going to be in the top five goaltenders uh, when it's all said and done in the National Hockey League this season. And Michelle, I really think if ever there is a situation where we need to use the eye test to evaluate a player so far in just four games, it's with Jordan Bennington because the Blues have been shorthanded so much and have left him out to dry against Colorado in that second game. They left him out to dry. And he's last night he played really well. He played certainly well enough to win. They the Sharks took thirty eight shots. He he stopped thirty seven. He stopped three in the uh, in the shootout. I, I could absolutely see, even though the numbers aren't there, where you say, "Oh man, what a goals against him! What a save percentage!" Where if you look at all the goalies, you could say, "Okay, he's a top five guy." Yeah, he also, Randy, shot, stopped all 12 power, power play shots last night. Yep. He bailed them out big time in a lot of in a lot of regards. Yeah, but Jordan Bennington has been playing great so far this season. It's the play in front of him that needs some improvement. As you mentioned, he's been hung out to dry several times. But I think, if anything, one of the takeaways we can have pretty definitively from the first four games is everything we just heard from Anthony Stewart is correct. That Jordan Bennington is very dialed in, and he looks like he could potentially, if this stays consistent for him, be a top Top five goalie in the league. And I do think that he can get some help. And we talked last segment, didn't take it or leave it, about Nico Mikola. I really think that he has, a, I don't think, I know, he has a skill set with his size and skating ability that other Blues defensemen just don't have. Bortuzzo is big, but can't skate like that. They've got a lot of guys that can skate, but don't have that sort of size. And he, for a young player, he looks like he has an experienced stick. I I believe that Mikola can evolve into being a top flight penalty kill guy. I don't know what he has the potential to be offensively. I don't know if he could be as stellar defensively as Joe, Jay Bomeister was, but I could see Mikola being a more than serviceable guy on the PK and as a defensive defenseman. That would be great because they certainly do miss someone like Jay Bomeister, a shutdown guy. I think that's another takeaway I have from these first four games is we're feeling the absence of some of the, the strong veteran players that have been on this Blues team for a while, and Jay Bomeister's absence is certainly being felt. But that would be wonderful if Mikola could develop into a player that the Blues could rely on in that way. And logically, when you're on the penalty kill, there's a lot more space on the ice. You don't have as many players. So if you have a, a guy that has length like he does, huge wingspan and a long stick, 
if you use it effectively, you're going to be a more effective penalty killer. And I just like what I see from the kid. I Again, I don't know what he'll become, but it looks to me like he has a chance with his skill set, if it's developed, to become a really good player. Speaking of penalties and Bennington, how about last night when Kane went to the box after whacking Bennington in the Which gut? Which time? The fourth yeah. time? <laughs> the time he whacked Jordan yeah. Bennington in the gut. Yeah. Come on. Come on, man. Uh yeah, which time? He was in the box the whole night. Yeah. Uh, Evander Kane, uh, I would not bet on him staying out of the box. <laughs> you wouldn't? <laughs> but, uh, no. I I think that uh, when Bob Bugner sent him out there after the second penalty, he was really gambling. <laughs> have you been waiting for these all day? I have. Good. Yeah. Nice delivery. I, I really think that when they made the trades for Kane and Carlson, they really bankrupted that franchise. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other terms I could use. Does roll of the dice apply? <laughs> yes, it does. It was a roll of the dice to find out yeah. about him last night. Yeah. Man. So, and you know what, Michelle, you know what's going to happen when you have a move like that, you're going to wind up in a hearing. I know you have more if you sleep. Keep going. Let's see how long we can carry this. Yeah. Oh, Evander. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, it, it shocks me that, and maybe he will at some point, follow his former coach, Peter DeBoer, to Vegas. That one was good. Hey. This is a guy, uh, when he when he's on the ice, he spends everything. Um, if is it fair to say he's a half a million dollar player? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, fun with Evander Kane. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Stop hitting our goalie, okay? Yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's not worth it. You could uh, you could wind up in. You know in, what? In you you hit Jordan Bennington again. There's going to be some restitution owed. <laughs> Well done. Thank you. That was pretty good. I'm proud of that one. Today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we talk a lot about Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, but if somebody's going to the Super Bowl on the backs of their defense this weekend, who's it going to be? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Both of the championship games for you Sunday here on 101 ESPN. The NFC Championship game pregame at 1 o'clock. And then uh, following that one, we're going to have the Blues and the Kings. So we won't be able to bring you the AFC Championship game. We'll, we'll bring you part of it, but not the whole thing. But we will have championship action for you here on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, it's become the nature of the NFL to not even really think about teams. It's it's all about the quarterback. We, we might not even well have the the other 52 guys on the roster, because it all comes down to the quarterback, doesn't it? That's what draws today is star power. And boy, do we have some great quarterbacks in action this weekend. So, yes, we're not going to be thinking about other matchups because we're talking about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers Mm -hmm. and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. There's incredible star power combined with those four guys. And you know that all four of them are likely to put on a big-time show this weekend. 
And if somebody is going to hold down that show, if somebody's going to suppress one of these quarterbacks, we wanted to come up with some ideas of who could use their defense. Because the old adage is, as a matter of fact, at Arrowhead, when Marty Schottenheimer was the coach, they sold T-shirts and they had gear that said, Offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. That was a long time ago, and the the league has changed dramatically since then. But if some team is going to ride their defense to the championship, at least to the Super Bowl, who is that team going to be? Oh, you want me to go first? I want you to go first. Okay, great. Well... I think the defense that's going to be tasked with the biggest challenge this weekend is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level. He's a likely MVP. He has an incredible connection with Devontae Adams. He's using guys like Lazard. He is finding ways to make this offense a lethal offense. We know that weather is going to be a factor and that the Packers thrive, especially Aaron Rodgers thrives in this environment. We know that they have the home field advantage and it just seems like Aaron Rodgers is a man on a mission and the Tampa Bay defense showed up big time for the Bucks in the game versus the Saints. But we've seen a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde with this Tampa Bay defense. Which defense is going to show up? Is it going to be the defense we saw last weekend that has made Drew Brees' life miserable and that is forcing turnovers and scoring points? Or are we going to see the Bucks defense that allowed Taylor Heineke to have a night versus them. So I think if the Tampa Bay defense shows up, they find a way to contain Aaron Rodgers, don't let him get out and be creative, do anything you can to stop him, they'll win the game. And they have a very good defensive coordinator. Todd Bowles is a great defensive mind. And that's why I'm looking at Buffalo, Michelle, because in addition to the fact that they have really good talent, they have two superb defensive minds and their head coach Sean McDermott and their defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier and going against a team like Kansas City. Tredavious White is a cornerback that you don't go after. Josh Norman on the other side is pretty good. They they play very well in the defensive backfield. Even though their defense among these four that are left in the regular season was ranked 16th in points, which is the worst of the four in points against I'm looking at Buffalo as the team that has a chance to slow down Kansas City. Now, you're never going to stop Kansas City. You can only hope to contain them. But they can get after the quarterback. Jerry Hughes at Oliver up the middle has a, a great ability to get after the quarterback. Tremaine Edmonds is playing great at linebacker for them and can cover sideline to sideline. And it, it just seems to me that without Edwards Alaire, the the running game for Kansas City isn't as effective. Williams is okay. They haven't used Le'Veon Bell. I think that they would be better if they did. But I just look at Buffalo as, to me, the the one team that can ride, if their offense doesn't play up to expectations, they can ride the defense to a championship. I wonder how much Patrick Mahomes' injuries will be at play this weekend and if that's something that Buffalo defense can exploit in any way. If if that toe and that foot is bothering him and he's not as mobile as he could be, I wonder if this is something that they can exploit. Look what they did against Lamar. If you can slow down Lamar, and granted, you had to give up some things on the back end because you basically said, okay, Lamar Jackson, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us through the air. You tell Mahomes to stand in the pocket and beat you through the air. He can do it. And with the weapons that Jackson had, he couldn't. But if Mahomes can't move around like he does, then obviously he's diminished. And if you can try to get him 
to stay in the pocket, keep him on his spot, and then get that pass pass rush up the middle with Oliver and Jefferson if he's there. Yeah, I think that that injury can play a huge role in the game. Circling back to quarterbacks, I also wonder, based on the injury and based on what we have ahead of us this weekend, if Josh Allen will outplay Patrick Mahomes. Don't you have a feeling that that's a great possibility this weekend, that Josh Allen yeah. could outplay Patrick Mahomes? And uh, I do. And again, it's because of the defenses. And Spags does a really good job in the playoffs. And Spags yes, does a great does. job as games go along to devise a plan. But when you're just talking about a guy like Josh Allen using his athletic ability to be able to get outside the pocket and make plays on both sides, whether he's rolling right or left, not many guys have that ability. And it's except- exceptionally difficult to prepare for. And I wonder how Kansas City does prepare for that right now. How, how do you prepare for Josh Allen doing what he does? That's a good question. Now, looking at the defensive coordinators this weekend, Randy, mm-hmm. I know Todd Bowles is a, is a great coordinator, and some of the blitzes that they were doing last weekend really rattled Drew Brees. They had a great game plan versus the Saints. But speaking of Steve Spagnuolo, do you think he's the scariest defensive coordinator left on the table based on what we've seen him do in in the history of his career? Yes. I think so too. Because of the history, because he has some really good talent, especially a guy that can get after the quarterback like Chris Jones and Matthew covers the back end and kind of manages the back end for them. I don't think there is a guy that at this stage of the season does a better job of preparing for an opponent. And his greatest success has obviously been against Brady and getting pressure up the middle. But this is a guy that uh, he ended Brett Favre's career, and everybody expected Brett Favre to win in, in Green Bay when the Giants played them in 07. He ended Brett Favre's Packers career. Uh, he, he's a guy that last year uh, ended things for the uh, Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. So you've got both ends of the spectrum, right? You've got mm-hmm. Henry trying to uh, win it with the ground game, and the Chiefs were able to shut him down and through one of the more prolific air games of all time. So, yeah, I think Spags does a great job of devising a plan the biggest issue, and obviously he's got smart players now, is having players that understand that plan because it changes pretty dramatically from game to game. I don't wonder, too, whether the Chiefs win or lose this season if Steve Spagnolo isn't a guy that some organizations have put on a list for potential head coaching jobs. I know it did not work out here in St. Louis, but the body of work outside St. Louis is very strong. And maybe he learned from what happened here in St. Louis. We've talked to him on on the show, and mm-hmm. he talked about the lessons that he learned. And I don't wonder if the success that he's had elsewhere in his career, especially recently, on the Chiefs, is something that other franchises are taking note of. And if maybe he'll be another uh, head coach one day. I, I think there's a couple of things working against Spags. Number one, he's 61 years old now. And teams are after younger and cheaper. Most of the head coaches that get hired are younger guys. And the other thing is, most of the coaches that get hired, if we look at this carousel this year, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but most, the overwhelming majority of, the co- of coaches that get hired are offensive background guys. So I, I think that that'll make it tough for him. Uh, and obviously, having... I think now the second worst winning percentage of any head coach with 40 or more wins. I think if he were younger, he might have been able to turn the tide. I don't think he would be able to now, unfortunately for him. But I like him. He's a good guy. He is a good guy, and he's a talented guy. He's a talented coach. Bruce Arians is 68. That's true, but an offensive guy. True. 
So, and he had been to championship games and stuff like that. He had the, that history. One other note here about the defenses, Michelle. When you look at what Rodgers was able to do against the number one defense in the league, that's got to be the scariest part for Tampa Bay, right? Is yeah. that even against a team, and yes, Aaron Donald was diminished, but it was still the best defense in the league during the season. And he looked like he was doing pretty much what he wanted against them. Yes. And you wonder if Tampa Bay is going to be able to keep up with that. They're they're really talented. And like we said, Bulls has a, a great ability to come up with a plan. But Rodgers does things outside the scheme that very few quarterbacks do. That's why you have to try to contain him as much as possible. I don't I don't know if you can, but that's why when I looked at the four defenses that are going to be playing this weekend, if Tampa Bay can rise to the occasion, their their defense single-handedly could win that game. No doubt about it. As a matter of fact, I think if they win that game, that's probably what's going to have to happen. It's going to be a repeat of last weekend? Yeah. Yeah. I, I could absolutely see that happening. But my money's on Rodgers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think so too. And actually... We just talk about possibilities because I grew up watching the Steel Curtain play defense and lead the Steelers to championships or the doomsday defense. Even the Rams, when they won the Super Bowl, had the fourth-ranked defense in the league. It's just not a defensive league anymore. The rules now are so slanted towards the offense. It's hard to win if you have a great defense and an average offense. If you have a great offense and an average or even below-average defense, you can win. You can't win unless you score a bunch of points. From a consumption standpoint, what do you like better? I think I like this better. I, it's more exciting. Yeah, it is. I, I liked it better. I, I think it was we had the perfect storm when the Rams were playing, when you could still play defense and hit guys. Mm-hmm. And I, what bothers me now is that you just can't tackle anymore without getting called for a penalty. So I, I think it was better 20 years ago. But if you're going to give me a – like. Uh, the choice between a 31-27 game or a 9-7 game. I'll take the 31-27. Same. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, it's the fight. Coming your way next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is time for the fight. It's 8.33 in the morning. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. If you listen to this segment every day, you know we have a repeat fighter today. Yesterday, Brandon challenged Randy, and he beat him 4-3. to three. So Brandon is back to defend his title, and he is one step closer to earning his spot in the Fight Hall of Fame. Good morning, Brandon. How are you feeling after yesterday's victory? I'm feeling pretty good, but the uh, pressure is on. I have two boys that are were excited that I was able to beat Megamind, and I told them it's not easy to do it more than once, so we'll see. That is true. Lower expectations so that if you do win, they're doubly excited. Uh, but right. are these your sons? What are their names? Ray and Zach. Ray and Zach. Okay, shout out to them. And even if you lose, Brandon, you guys should shout them out on the radio. <laughs> yeah, look at <laughs> Look at the bright side. There you go. All right. Well, let's jump in. Question number one. Today is Jack Nicholas's 81st birthday. How many major championships has he won in his career? 
15, 18, or 19? 18. Who is the active all-time points leader in the NHL? Is it Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, or Joe Thornton? Active? Oh. I think it's one, but I'm going to go with the other and use what I used yesterday. I'll say Sidney Crosby. Okay, Brandon, question number three. Which Blues forward scored in the 11th round of a shootout to beat the Senators on March 2nd, 2016? Was it Patrick Berglund, Troy Brower, or Alexander Steen? Berglund. All right, and your final question. Who pitched eight shutout innings for the Tigers in their only win over the Cardinals in the 2006 World Series? Was it Justin Verlander, Kenny Rogers, or Nate Robertson? Kenny Rogers. All right, we're checking score here. Randy is on his way in. Brandon, you feeling good after the fight? Not as good as yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, these are tough questions. Emily came up with the questions today, and she did not hold back. Randy's getting settled in here. Randy, say good morning again to Brandon. You remember Brandon, our friend. I do. Brandon, good to have you with us. How you doing? Great to have you uh, once again here on 101 ESPN. Thanks again for having me. You got it. Question number one, Randy. Today is Jack Nicklaus's 81st birthday. Mm. How many major championships has he won in his career? He has won 18. That's the uh, the one that Tiger is, has wanted forever. I don't know if he'll ever get there now, but Tiger always wanted to get to 19. He's been chasing it for a while. Yes, he has. Who is the active all-time points leader in the NHL? The active points leader in the NHL. Um, I think logic would dictate uh, that it would be... It's either... It's almost got to be. Well, let's think about this. You've got some. You've got Jumbo Joe, who's been around forever. Um, then you've got Ovechkin and Crosby. I think I'm. And then you had Marlo last night. Marlo has, I think, more points than Thornton does. So I think I will go with uh, with. Sid the kid, Sidney Crosby. Randy, which Blues forward scored in the 11th round of a shootout to beat the Senators back on March 2nd, 2016? March 2nd, 2016. I'll go with the, the lifeline here. Is it Patrick Berglund, Troy Brower, or Alexander Steen? Okay, at that time, Steen was playing really well. Berglund was not, but he was pretty skilled. And Brower, I, I'll, I'll go with Brower scoring that one. All right, and who pitched eight shutout innings for the Tigers in their only win over the Cardinals in the 2006 World Series? Uh, Kenny Rogers was cheating. <laughs> he had uh, pine tar in his hand, so it was him. That cheetah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, another great fight. But we do have a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Brandon, you get to hang your head high or hold your head high, I should say, to your boys today. You beat Randy again. 
You beat him three to two. (laughs) One step closer to the Hall of Fame. Let's give the answers for everyone, Randy, so we know which ones you got wrong. Mm -hmm. Jack Nicklaus, it's his 81st birthday, and he has won 18 major championships in his career. Six Masters, five PGA championships, four U.S. Opens, and three Open Championships. It sounds like the Christmas song and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah, right. The active all-time points leader in the NHL is Joe Thornton, 1,511 goals. That was one of the things that bothered me the most about the Blues' run towards their first Stanley Cup championship is when they were playing the Sharks. The the national narrative was the Sharks have to win one for Joe. They have to win one for Joe Thornton. I was like, what about the Blues, who have never won one, and about how many times they've been close and have never gotten it? Isn't that a story? line worthy of talking about yes anyway sorry i, I agree with you. Rant, no, you're fine. rant over i don't forget though national sports networks um <laughs> back on march 2nd 2016 it was patrick berglund who scored in the 11th round of a shootout to beat the senators and it was kenny rogers who pitched eight shutout innings for the tigers and their only win over the cardinals in the 2006 world series brandon great job again we're going to talk to you tomorrow one step closer to the hall of fame thank you very much great questions today yeah, really good. It's tough. Uh, and credit where credit is due, man. He he knew him, obviously. Well, he gets all the options too, Randy. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> I think you might have a little bit better of a chance if you had all of the all of the options. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford about what ails the 2-2, two and two, I guess 2-0-1 oh blues. JR is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our friend, the Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, kind enough to join us and talk a little blues. Hockey. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How you guys doing? Terrific. Okay. How do the Blues cut down on the number of penalties that they're taking? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, Craig Bruby not happy last night. Uh, seven more minors last night. They're up to twenty-one on the season, second most in the NHL, and everybody's taking them. Uh, you know, it's the old uh, cliche here, but just have to be more disciplined because uh, we know that this team can play much better than a lot of teams five on five, but they're putting themselves in the box. It's completely taken away from uh, the flow of the game. And, you know, guys like Robert Thomas, even Mike Hoffman can't get on the ice when uh, it's a special teams game. So have to get away from those penalties. And JR on the blues power play, same question. How do they fix what ails them? Yeah, kind of same thing. I think they need to uh, shoot more. Last night, they didn't even get a chance to, to get set up. Uh, oh, oh of uh, 14 on the power play, one of only uh, three teams in the league without a power play goal. And, you know, I, I'm glad that my stuff is on the Internet because hopefully I can just delete it. It's not in print, <laughs> but I, I pump the tires a lot on this power play. And uh, they they just don't have anything going right now. And, uh, you know, I know they made the move. They had Hoffman on that top unit, moved him down. I think eventually he's going to have to be on that top power play unit. He's going to have to be firing pucks, shooting. That's why they brought him in here. It's not happening yet. But uh, haven't been getting set up and certainly aren't taking enough shots. JR, we, we get texts, we get tweets that the Blues miss Mark Savard. We get texts, we get tweets that they miss Alex Petrangelo on the power play. Is any of this a personnel or coaching issue? 
I don't think so. You know, the one thing that I heard from players about Mark Smart is that he let them do what uh, what what they felt comfortable doing. They're the ones played the game. He played the game. He knows what it's like to be on the power play and and just wish the coach would allow you to do uh, what works. So there was sort of a freedom there. You know, and I know when Jim Montgomery came in, he's a great X's and O's coach, and here's a coach who isn't going to try to fix what isn't broken. So from what I've heard talking to players, it's a lot of the same uh, message. I just think with the power play especially that it's uh, it's a little bit of – chemistry and finding it early on after not playing for such a long time and there is some new personnel so uh, I personally think that on on some nights the power plays looked okay and eventually it's going to come into his own Uh, but it's taken an awful long time Uh, I know it's only four games but you think they'd, uh, they'd have figured it out a little bit and had a goal or two by now. One of the positives that's come out in the first four games, JR, is Jordan Bennington and his level of play. We had Anthony Stewart on the show this week that talked about the way Jordan Bennington trains and how locked in he is as a goalie. And he says he thinks he could be a top five goalie by the end of the year. Do you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, I think, you know, whether it's top five or, you know, top seven, top eight, I think he can be in that group. I really do. Look, Jordan Bennington, we've heard the line he said a couple weeks ago, if he's reflecting, it's on the cup and the all-star appearance and the 30 wins. You know, and he's right. Like, it didn't go well for anybody in the bubble, uh, him in particular. Uh, But talking to him over the offseason, talking to people around him, he really was committed. Like, the workouts were intense. He got back into it. You know, and yeah, it's a it's a contract year, but he's a he's a true pro. He wants to be one of the top five goalies in the league, and so you know, I think numbers wise, he he uh, let in a few against uh, Colorado the other night, but I thought he he played well, and, and the team uh, hung him out to dry. Uh, I do think he's been one of the Blues' best players these first four games, and and that's a good sign because I, I do think the power play, the penalty kill, uh, those will come around. I think the penalties. Will, will drop. But as long as you can point to things like Justin Falk playing well and Jordan Bennington playing well, those are the things that are going to be important when you come out of this uh, little first batch of games. And, and so I think Jordan Bennington being on top of his game, great sign. JR, I thought that uh, Braden Shen made an interesting point last night in comparing this schedule to playoffs and the back end of games and then talked about how intense and desperate that the, both Colorado and San Jose have been, and that hasn't been an issue for the Blues in the past, is matching the intensity of the opposition. I I wonder how difficult that'll be to come to grips with the fact that you're going to have to, in a 56-game schedule, play with a high level of intensity and effort every night. Yeah, it's it's not changing. This is what it's going to be like. You know, for the rest of the season, playing the, the same teams uh, twice. The Blues did not show up in the second game against Colorado. And then last night against San Jose, you know, second game against the Sharks, you have the coach saying that we got guys out there not playing hard enough. And so this is not a good sign in terms of, uh, you know, that development, that uh, you're going to have to play these teams a second time after you beat them. They're going to be a lot more desperate. The one thing that we have to keep in mind, this Blues roster has evolved and it's built – to move the puck and play fast, you know, the Tory Krugs, you got the Jordan Cairo now. They're not as big and lanky uh, as, as they were. You're going to have nights where they look, you know, pretty good on the forecheck, but this is not 
you know, the heavy, heavy forechecking team of a couple years ago. So, you know, that could win you games. Remember that Blues playoff series, how can we forget, against San Jose uh, a couple years ago? They, they beat them because they completely wore them down. And, and so last night, uh, you watch the Blues play against the Sharks, and, and that's not what they're doing. You know, like Craig Bruby said, they're not skating hard. There's not a lot of effort there. So with, with a smaller lineup that wants to move the puck, you know, you have to still play that physical game. Shen said it a couple of days ago. You can't forget your bread and butter. And I think when we've seen the Blues play poor a couple of times this season, that's what it's looked like. Jer, we talked about this on the show yesterday, Randy and I did, but you have a great piece up at The Athletic that everyone should check out about Blues ownership and their commitment to spend to win and how spending to the cap has led to their sustained success. Can you explain to us what the direct correlation has been between Tom Stillman and this Blues ownership group spending money and that resulting in wins? Yeah, I really come up with some novel concepts on spend money and you win. (laughs) Right. Well, you have to spend money in the correct manner, though. A lot of teams spend money and they don't get there. And and that really is uh, the thing. But I, I think uh, people, you know, who read the story and you know understood the takeaway. Yeah, of course, you spend money, you got a better chance of uh, winning. Uh, but the Blues are a smaller market team, and so it's not obvious when Tom Stillman's ownership group comes in that they're going to spend to the cap. And and so when uh, when I talked to Tom recently and talked to Doug, and Tom said, "Look, we had uh, projections that we weren't going to spend to the cap." It was Doug Armstrong who said, hey, look, look at this data, look at the teams that have won in the league, look how they've spent money, and Tom and his group got on board. And so I think for you know a new ownership group who was just kind of feeling its way through to take that advice and say, hey, look, this is going to be a very difficult financial commitment, but we're going to do it because we want to be that type of team. So it's not easy for Tom just to say, okay, yeah, spend to the cap. And the other thing is, as you touched on, Michelle, um, how Doug Armstrong's spent the money. He's done it wisely. Yeah, there have been a couple bad contracts, but he's found a way uh, to move them. And so to me, one of the, the biggest uh, comments I remember listening in the interviews was Tom Stillman when I said, does Doug Armstrong have your trust the way that uh, he's spent the money? And he said, absolutely. He's done a masterful job putting together this roster with the resources we've given him. And Doug said, not a lot of times, uh, you know, when I talk to him, does Tom Stillman say no. So they all deserve a lot of credit uh, for, for putting this plan in place and Doug for executing it. And it permeates down to the locker room, JR, as you mentioned in your piece, that when players see ownership in the front office being aggressive, they feel that sense of urgency to capitalize on that from a win standpoint too, right? Yeah, and uh, David uh, Perron touched on that. Look, you're going to likely probably lose uh, Alex Petrangelo. You realize that in uh, free agency. He decides to uh, to take a trip to Vegas. What does Doug Armstrong do? Turns around and signs Tory Krug. And, and every every player scouring social media saw the headline. Um, you know, not just in the Blues locker room, but around the league. And they see what Doug uh, Armstrong said in the story is that commitment to winning. And then you go out and get a Mike Hoffman, and they're not going to sell. I remember when uh, obviously Wayne Gretzky's Wayne Gretzky, but you know they did an analysis. How many tickets do they have left? remaining in that season when they brought Gretzky in. They're obviously going to sell him out. So he's going to bring in this much money just by re-signing him. Well, you know with Mike Hoffman, there aren't bodies in the seats. There aren't 
tickets to sell. So bringing in Mike Hoffman, it's not going to offset his 3.5. This is money that you know you're going to lose, and you're just signing the guy to give you a better chance to win. And, and the players definitely see that. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the best things in what we're talking about that the Blues do is recognizing when they make mistakes. They could be spending to the cap with guys like Yori Laterra and Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Saboka. They recognize those contract mistakes. They go get a Braden Shen for Laterra. They go get a guy like Ryan O'Reilly for Saboka and Berglund. They they recognize when the value isn't there in a contract. And Army is probably, well, he, he is the best at shedding bad contracts and getting value back in return. It's exactly right. That, that's the biggest thing. And, and, and you look at, you know, they've spent to the cap every year since... 2012, basically, when Stillman's group came in, but it's been mostly with quality players. And you know what? You rattle off those names and those trades, Randy. I don't know that you know hearing those trades will ever seem normal. Like, <laughs> like, uh, like, like Doug Armstrong. Yes, he's been able to move players that weren't playing well and bring in good ones. You also have to have situations like with Philadelphia and like Buffalo who agree to those trades and to this day, why those GMs of those teams made the trades to send, you know, Shane and, and Ryan O'Reilly here, you know, I'll never understand it, but that's what uh, Doug Armstrong does. The due diligence, making the phone calls, trying to feel out what's out there. And let's keep in mind, he could have probably made deals sooner than that just to pull the trigger, but he waits for the right deal. And it eventually came around with Philadelphia and, and obviously with uh, with Buffalo. But uh, I, we could be talking in 2030, and you guys mentioned those trades, and I'm still not going to comprehend that, uh, that they happened. And another one under the radar, we don't talk about it as much because Ryan Miller left, but moving that Chris Stewart contract in the Ryan Miller trade was also a big one because that allowed the Blues, again, to replace that contract with something that they got quality out of. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think with Doug Armstrong, if you had to mention one thing, highlight one thing, it's the fact that he's just not committed to anything, whether it be uh, the captain, letting David Backus go, letting Alex Petrangelo go. You know, you bring in uh, Chris Stewart in, in the trade for Eric Johnson, and uh, and you can let him go. You know, in talking to Tom Stillman last week, he said Doug Armstrong has continued to make deals that are in the best interest of the franchise and not they don't necessarily have to be in the in the best interest of Doug Armstrong. Maybe he brought in one of those players, and now he's he's willing to move him. So I, I just think um, that's why we've seen this sustained ten year period of success. Not only because they're putting the resources in, uh, but Doug Armstrong has done a tremendous job of of bringing good players in. And, and when he saw that it wasn't going to work, whatever emotional tie or financial tie he had to the situation. He was able to uh, set that aside. It's a great piece at The Athletic by Jeremy Rutherford. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks, guys. See you, Jared. That is Jeremy Rutherford joining us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. ESPN senior NFL reporter Jeremy Fowler joins us with Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Do 
Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 9 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joining Michelle and Randy is Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, ESPN.com. You see him, you read him, you hear him. He's on all the platforms. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Hey, no problem. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, we both really enjoyed your uh, your piece on Deshaun Watson. We'll, we'll reveal to you that Michelle and I, during the season, decided to become Dolphins fans because we don't have a team here in St. Louis. And Deshaun Watson okay. would be an interesting fit with the Dolphins, wouldn't he? He would. Uh, there's no doubt when you have uh, – you add up all the factors and you have a team with an exciting young coach – He's built a new culture there. They're on the cusp of the playoffs. They have the third overall pick. They have multiple first-round picks this year. Um, I think that's why they're so heavily implicated in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Should he be on the trading block? It's an important distinction to remind that he is not uh, being shopped. He hasn't been traded. Uh, the team wants to keep him, so we'll see what happens. But if if they do, I do believe Miami would probably be one of the first calls. And we remember, Jeremy, Obviously, the Rams getting the three first-round draft choices for RG3 and the Goff and, and Wentz trades. And yep. you mentioned at least three first-rounders. I, wouldn't you think that it might even be more than that, especially with, with the Jets having uh, a guy like uh, Sam Darnold and the Dolphins having Tua? Wouldn't you think it would, because of a guy that led the league in passing this year, that it would be more than three first-rounders? It could be. It could be a package of, like, say, three first and a two or a day two pick. Or it could be uh, that if you are the Jets and have, say, the number two overall pick, um, that that would be one of your three, knowing that, you know, if, it, if it's just three first rounders, one of them would have to be high. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, and it depends on how new GM Nick Casario feels about this quarterback class. If he's not really high on Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or those guys, then it's probably sort of a moot point, you know? you need to be able to get quarterback return uh, in, your, in your equity process. So, um, but it's, uh, if, if Jamal Adams and Laramie Tunsil and guys like that are going for two first round picks, Deshaun's going to go for a lot more. Yeah. Jeremy, you have another great piece up at ESPN.com about potential quarterback movement this offseason. The Colts are a really intriguing opening with Phillip Rivers announcing that he's officially retiring. What quarterback do you see under center for the Colts next year? Well, a lot of pieces would have to fall into play, but I do see Matthew Stafford uh, as being a target. Um, it, it just it makes too much sense. He's only 32. His contract is reasonable. The Colts are probably out of range to get the right signal caller in the draft this year. For when they pick in the draft, they don't have a high first-round pick. So to me, it adds up. Um, I, I don't necessarily think they would go the Carson Wentz route, and, and it looks like he's probably staying at Philly, at least for now. So, um now, look, Detroit might not want to trade Matthew Stafford. He's a top 10 to 12 quarterback based on talent and ability and all those things. And so new coach Dan Campbell might like that stability. But it's been 12 years. It hasn't really worked in Detroit. So I, I could see him being so open to a rebuild. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler with us on 101 ESPN. Let's spin it ahead to this coming weekend. First of all, what are you hearing about Mahomes beyond the concussion issue, but the foot as well? So I think the foot is fine. It's, it's pretty minor. It, it might affect his mobility a little bit, <laughs> Excuse me, but uh, I, I think that's something he can play through with no problem. The bigger issue is the concussion because he has to go through stages. That's not something that he can, quote, play through. So, uh, But all signs are good. 
today to probably give him a little more on his plate as far as the practice session, you know, assuming he passes uh, all his tests today. And it seems to be turning in the right direction. When you look at the NFC Championship game, Jeremy, there's a lot of storylines and a lot of intriguing matchups. But taking the two iconic quarterbacks out of the conversation, what's one matchup that you think could be a real X factor in this game? Oh, you're talking about the Packers-Bucks? Yeah, excuse me, Packers-Bucks. So, for me, it's really the the Bucks front seven is great at stopping the run, and the Packers are at their best right now. Uh, when they're really when they really have that run game going, or it's not all on Aaron Rodgers, so that to me is going to be fascinating. Just the banging up front that's going to happen. Um, if the Bucks can stop the run, it, it puts an interesting onus on Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's going to have to kind of do his thing, which we've seen him do many times. Um, and the Bucks are a little bit susceptible in the secondary, so it's that whole chess match uh, that, that I'm most fascinated by. And then um, you know, with the Bucks side of things. They have uh, Antonio Brown, who's been day-to-day with a foot injury, and he hasn't really been overly impactful so far, uh, at least in the Saints game. So I expect a potential bounce back for him if he can get back in the lineup feeling good. He's got a good chemistry with Tom Brady. You know, they're going to kind of load coverage toward Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and all those guys, so Antonio Brown could have a big day. Speaking of the the Packers offense, I was a little bit surprised last weekend that they had the success specifically in the running game that they did with Bakhtiari out. Uh, What did you think of the Packers offensive line performance against the number one defense in the league without their best offensive lineman? Yeah, they've been good all year, really. Um, Bakhtiari's a good player, but they've got good depth there, and their offensive interior line is really solid, like Elkin Jenkins. yeah, those guys are, are young, emerging players. Corey Lindsay, the center, like they're stacked up front. Them. So they feel like they can get yards right through the teeth of a defense right now. I wanted to ask you another question, Jeremy, about rumors and things going on off the field. Philadelphia had a lot of things happening there. It was kind of a hot mess for a while. It seems like they're zeroing in on Josh McDaniels to be the head coaching candidate to replace Doug Peterson. What do you think about that potential match there? Is is Josh McDaniels the guy you think can turn things around in Philly? You know, that was difficult to uh, decipher because when you take Tom Brady out of the equation, the numbers are not good for Josh McDaniels. I mean, this year, uh, I think they ranked 27th in total offense when he was with the Rams once upon a time. Not very good offense. Um, he drafted Tim Tebow in Denver. You know, like, he's, he's an interesting situation, but at the same time, he's grown a lot and done a great job for Bill Belichick over the last near decade now. Um, so, I, you know, he, he's, he's an impressive coach in the sense that Chris Ballard, the GM in Indianapolis, who was uh, very well respected, was ready to hire him a few years back. So that must say something. He's got a lot of good people vouching for him. Um, so I think it can work potentially. And Carson Wentz needs a new set of eyes, a new offensive coach and system to guide him for the future. Uh, but, you know, that said, we haven't really seen McDaniels do it on his own yet, aside from Tom Brady or Bill Belichick. So uh, I think he can do it, but it's still an unknown. Head coaching jobs are rare commodities, so people are going to want to take those openings regardless of the circumstances. But do you think having Carson Wentz as the quarterback there, because it does seem like he's going to stay, is desirable for a potential candidate? Because with all the reports coming out of Philadelphia, it's not really painting him in a great light. And you couple that with his performance on the field, it seems like it might be something that makes a candidate take a pause. Yeah, it could, certainly. I mean, the Eagles and Texans jobs are open, and they're also considered probably the two worst jobs 
of the seven that have been open. So that is telling to me. You have the Jalen Hurts dynamic. What do you do with him? Um, do you trade him knowing that Carson Wentz is probably going to have an issue with Hurts being there? And that's been well documented now. And Hurts has had, or excuse me, Wentz has had issues with a lot of things, it turns out, uh, including his head coach. And so you wonder, like, are you walking into a good situation as a head coach with your quarterback that's had some problems, but you know the ownership there is fully supporting? So, you know, that said, I mean, I think Wentz works hard and has a ton of talent still. You know, if he can get his confidence back up and you can kind of uh, revive him as the new head coach, that's a good feather under your cap as well. You know, I think that's a challenge that some coaches would welcome. Jeremy, I have to believe that uh, there's a little bit of distress at the league office in the that there has not been an African-American head coach hired in this cycle. Number one, does Biennemi have a chance in Houston? And number two, what sort of consternation do you think Roger Goodell and his lieutenants have right now because yeah. of what's happened here? Yeah, you're certainly on to something with a consternation. I believe that the league is making some phone calls this week. You know, they can't control what who owners hire, certainly, but... Um, they're trying to make clear that there are a lot of good candidates out there. I, I do believe Eric Bieniemy is a strong candidate for the Houston job. I know that new GM Nick Casario has done his homework on Bieniemy. He's made some phone calls about him. Um, so, you know, they're at the least taking a hard look. Uh, and that would go a long way with Deshaun Watson as well. I believe. So we'll see. You know, there hasn't been a lot of movement on the Houston front. I wonder if that's why, you know, maybe they're waiting a little bit to talk to him after his AFC championship game. Todd Bowles, I think, has a chance in Philadelphia, too. So that would be another minority hire, potentially, uh, if it doesn't go McDaniels' way. So still some options, but it's been predictable on that front. You know, you, you have owners who want to hire a certain way, even though there are a lot of qualified black candidates out there. Jeremy, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you, and hopefully we can do this again. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Have a good day. You too. Jeremy Fowler, ESPN senior reporter for ESPN.com. You see him and hear him on all the platforms. I wonder if the enemy hire would be enough to convince Deshaun Watson that he should stay. It's a great question. And I wonder if anybody knows. I think that's the brilliance of what Deshaun Watson is doing here. He's not talking to anybody and letting anybody know what he thinks. I would have to believe that just the way that Cal McNair handled things in speaking to him and telling him, look, you're going to be involved in the process and then leaving him out of the process. They, he doesn't have to allow a player to be involved in the process, obviously. But when you go to the player, when you're the owner and you go to the player and said, yeah, we want you to be a part of this. We want you to be involved in the process. Then the player does his homework and tries to be involved in the process and the owner completely ignores it. I think that's an issue. It's a sense of betrayal. There's a lack of trust. And you've been playing in a situation that's far, far from desirable. And you're performing at a high level. And you know that nothing is guaranteed Mm -hmm. in in this game, that your career could be over in a hurry. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I don't trust them anymore, even if they hire someone that was on my list. And I'm trying to take my talents to South Beach. And say what you want about Green Bay not giving Aaron Rodgers input into the hiring of Matt LaFleur, not giving Aaron Rodgers into the input into the draft where they took Jordan Love. They said, no, you're a quarterback, but you aren't part of the front office. And obviously it's working. They did, however, without maybe directly saying it, choose him over Mike McCarthy. Oh, yeah, they did. So yeah. they gave him 
the power to choose. It so was they, they let him fire a guy. Essentially, <laughs> whether whether it directly came down to that or not, it clearly wasn't working, and they chose Aaron Rodgers, which most organizations should choose the franchise choose quarterback. The quarterback, absolutely. choose the quarterback. Coming up on Character and Smallman, has the Blues penalty kill come together? We think it did last night. We'll touch on that, and is the power play close? You'll hear it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues suffered a 2-1 shootout loss to the San Jose Sharks last night, but the Blues' penalty kill, which had come into the game at 42.9%, was able to kill off seven power plays for San Jose. So that's a good thing, a little positivity there. Yeah, if we're taking positives out of last night, that's certainly one of them because one of the things we talked about on the show yesterday was about the level of panic we were feeling about the penalty mm-hmm. kill. So the fact that they were able to kill all seven last night, giving up 12 shots on the PK, definitely a positive. Still taking too many penalties, though. Oh, Here yeah. is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, Craig Bruby not happy last night. Uh, seven more minors last night. They're up to 21 on the season. Second most in the NHL, and everybody's taking them. Uh, you know, it's the old uh, cliche here, but just have to be more disciplined because uh, we know that this team can play much better than a lot of teams five on five, but they're putting themselves in the box. It's completely taken away from uh, the flow of the game. And, you know, guys like Robert Thomas, even Mike Hoffman can't get on the ice when uh, it's a special teams game. So have to get away from those penalties. And Michelle, here they are second in the league in penalties taken. In a small sample size in four games. But to JR's point, that's, not only do you want to stay out of the box for a variety of reasons, you can't get into the flow of the game. Right. If it feels very disruptive, you have key pieces that aren't getting ice time when that's happening. And it is a self-inflicted wound. And hopefully they're paying attention to it. They're going to be more intentional about things like that. And I can imagine over the next few days in practice, that's going to be a priority to focus on. Because you do need, you expend a lot of energy on the PK. And one of the reasons I have to believe that they don't score a lot is because that energy is so expended on the defensive end mm-hmm. that you just don't have, like you said, the the rhythm or the energy to get going on the offensive end. But hopefully they've that was a big issue and is a big issue, the penalty kill. Now they just have to not have to kill as many. There you go. And as JR said, too, the way they've been playing five on five, if you could continue to capitalize on that, I think you're in a much better position. And I I look at the power play, and they still haven't scored a power play goal this year, which is disappointing because we used the term lethal for the power play before the season started. It's been lethal, but for the Blues. The wrong way. way. What was the stat you had at the top of the show? When was the last time they had had four games without a power play goal? The start of the 77-78 season was the last time. So it's been a minute. Yeah, it has. (laughs) It's been a minute. I was in high school, and I'm old. What kind of car were you driving then? I know you've had some very cool cars in your youth. That was my 1976 Firebird Formula. Orange. Orange Firebird Formula. Yeah, that was a, a, a policeman's magnet. We should do one of those. The last time the Blues went four games without scoring a power play goal, Randy was driving this car. Yeah. This song was at the top of the charts. Wait, what was it, 1971? Actually, in 77, I would have been 15, so I didn't even have a car yet. <laughs> 1977 top song. What do you think the top song was that year? Something from the Bee Gees. I'm going tragedy. Me? No, but tragedy might. Okay. 
1977. Rod Stewart. Oh. Tonight's the night. Number Tonight's one on the, the charts. Tonight's the night. Did the, were the Bee Gees up there at all? Do you have a list? Let's see. This is Wikipedia. Seems like they were rolling. because I was going to guess Saturday Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Disco was big at that point. Okay, so the next song. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. So this is through the year. This isn't all, all the total year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bee Gees a lot. Bee Gees okay. a lot. But I was looking at it from January on. So at this time, we're sitting here at January 21st. At this time <laughs> in 1977, the top song on the charts was I Wish by Stevie Wonder. Okay. Followed closely by Car Wash from Rose Royce. The Car Wash. Do, 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 do. They still use that one a lot at hockey games. Great song. Some of the names on this list, the Eagles, Barbara Streisand, Hall & Oates. People are still doing concerts. I saw, I was at a Hall & Oates concert a couple of years ago, man. They propped those two up. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was unbelievable. I went to Fleetwood Mac a couple years ago, and let me tell you something. Stevie Nicks has not missed a beat. She still got and it. And she's like 72 or something. I said to my dad, we were at the concert together, I go, Stevie Nicks has still got it. And she goes, she never lost a kid. She never <laughs> lost it. So the Blues have a couple of days of practice, and... That's one of the things that's great about having practice days because now the Blues will play literally every other day for a month. The next time they're going to have back-to-back days off to practice is February 16th and 17th. So what they need to do is really focus in on getting the new players who now have played four games together, but you need to get them on the same page in regards to special teams. You need to teach your special teams over the course of the next two days. My expectation, Michelle, would be that the Blues will be better at avoiding taking penalties. That's an effort issue. Yes. That's the that's the biggest thing. And Discipline. Yeah, and I would think that they will be better on special teams when they play the Kings on Saturday night and Sunday. This is hard to do because we're sports fans and oftentimes we think with our hearts and not our heads, but it is only four games to start the season and there are a lot of things that these players are getting used to, not only from the construction of their team and a chemistry standpoint, but the construction of the schedule. You heard a lot of players talk last night about how different it is to be playing back-to-backs against teams and after they win the first game, the effort, energy, and sense of urgency or a sense of retribution coming from the team that they're playing their opponent in the next game is on a different level after they've lost it it feels like a playoff environment and i think that now that the blues have had two back-to-back series now with the same team that's something that they're going to be prepared for as well and that's something that on a game-to-game basis that this team is built for to outwork the opposition and the 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 perception that craig Berube has is that they aren't living up to the way the team is built yeah, PK killed off seven penalties. I mean, two five on threes. It's ridiculous, the penalties. But, you know, we, we can't go to the box that much. It's it's really hard on people. It's hard on our team. Can't get to our game because of it. I don't know where we're at in the league right now, penalty-wise. Might be leading the league. Well, second. Close enough. And when you're taking a bunch of holding and slashing penalties and hooking penalties, you're trying to hold somebody up because you aren't skating with them. Right. You have to be able to skate with them. And... The Blues, you got to get this going in a hurry because after the Kings this weekend, and the Kings are not a great team, but they are a team that's going to give give effort. They're a team that's going to try hard, and they're they're very young and they're fast. But then you go on the road and you've got two games at Vegas next week, and Vegas is undefeated and they're playing great. They don't have 
any problems, at least so far, with playing the back end of those those back-to-back games. Uh, and then you get s- some hungry teams in the next couple of weeks. You've got Arizona here. You've got Colorado coming to St. Louis. Minnesota is playing great so far. It's kind of like the Cardinal baseball schedule last year. It's not going to be easy. There aren't going to be any two-week periods where you say, okay, we can knock off that, 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 and that team, and in those four or five games, we're going to be okay. Every single time you play, because of the condensed schedule, you're in grave danger. Is there any other kind of being eliminated from the race. You you lose three in a row and you're playing catch up for the rest of the season. That's why the sense of urgency has got to be relentless throughout the season. It's difficult to maintain that because a lot of players are used to the ebbs and flows of the, a normal season. But I think they're realizing in a hurry that this is not, again, a normal season and that that sense of urgency and the pace of play coming out fast and maintaining it is something they're, they're going to have to continue. And one other point, this from the 314, hate to be that guy, but will they shoot the puck? They're bottom five in shots per game with that much offensive talent. And that's one of the problems when you spend so much time in the box. Yes. Your offensive talent isn't on the ice and they aren't playing five on five or five on four when you're playing four on five you're generally playing in your own zone and you don't get the opportunity to shoot the puck as much just stay out of the box yeah it's it's not that difficult and another text from the 314 i'm not going to worry about the blues until about 10 games in and i'm generally that way for an 82 game schedule but you get 10 games in and you aren't playing well and doesn't matter what the record is But every other team is going to be getting better. If you don't improve your play over the course of the next couple of weeks, you could be behind the eight ball in a big hurry because other teams, Vegas is already playing great. Colorado is already playing great. Minnesota had a great stretch run last year, and they're in second place in the division. Things can get away from you in a hurry if you don't play well early. So how quickly do we fire up the panic bus if there is one to be fired up? If you get swept by the Kings... And we oh, come yeah. back here next Monday? That would be rough. <laughs> we always have the even though the Blues are a completely different team and they've proven to us that we can trust them and we do have a lot of trust in this team and in this franchise. Those keys are always at the ready. They sure are. It's just something more ingrained to do. I always go into that garage and just start that up to make sure that the battery's good and just in case we need it on an emergency basis. Do we need a Cardinals panic bus? No. There will be no reason to panic about the Cardinals. No reason, because the emotions aren't there. You panic because of the expectations that the team has set. Exactly. Yeah, wow, that's a bummer. You yeah, don't you, even need the bus. No, not not this year. 2022, we'll, we'll get the bus. May, how the, about the this? The red panic bus going again. How about it's a lazy river? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're, we're just, just kind of meandering. We really don't know where we're going. We hope we wind up in a good spot. But We're just chilling. Yeah. We're along for the ride. Sometimes the current picks up, and sometimes it's exciting, but most of the time we're just yeah. floating along. Hey, floating along, and uh, hey, 2021 Cardinals, careful of those rapids on the horizon. That's right. <laughs> they come in a hurry. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Before we get to your killing me, Smalls, report out of MLB. According to Robert Murray, MLB insider for Fansided, the Braves are circling on JT Real Muto to be their catcher. Interesting. So, and Craig Mish 
points out our friend that GM Alex Anthopoulos has always loved Real Muto, so it comes as no surprise. Hmm. It'd be a good fit there, and they wouldn't have to re-sign the bat of Marcel Ozuna. And then does that, as the dominoes fall, mean Greg Z- Greg Amzinger's theory comes to fruition? Yachty to Philly? That would make sense, uh-huh. yeah. Wow. We'll keep an eye on that one for you. You're killing me, Smalls. Interesting, Randy. Look at you with the hot goss from the streets. <laughs> All right, well, one thing I love and hate about sports, especially as we get in the playoffs and get towards a Super Bowl or towards a World Series, is how we don't live in the moment. We look at someone like Tom Brady or we look at Aaron Rodgers, and we want to talk about their legacy. And if they lose, how much longer do they have instead of focusing on what they're accomplishing right now? But that is always part of it because they look at the big picture and they feel the pressure because Father Time is always right right around the corner. Well, Aaron Rodgers is 37 and he's only won one Super Bowl. So a lot of people are thinking about his legacy and people are wondering how much longer is he going to play? You look at Tom Brady across the field and he's defying the odds, but he's one of the only people who's been, if not the only person in sports who's really been able to do that. So Aaron Rodgers, of course, heading into this game was asked about his future and his future in the game. And this was the quote. I'm always just trying to stay present, especially this year, as much as anything. Enjoy the moments. I hope there's more opportunities, but I don't know. I mean, I really don't. That stuff is out of my control. My future is a beautiful mystery, I think. (laughs) The present is such a gift to be able to stay in the moment and to have gratitude for being in the situation again, being with the guys, having fans in our stadium, maybe snow in an NFC's championship game. I'm going to enjoy these moments for sure and just not worry about what happens down the line. Great for him. I remember interviewing Kurt Warner before Super Bowl 36, and he said, I want to win five Super Bowls, and he wound up winning one. And by the way, we, we talk about Rodgers winning only one, and you grew up watching Marino, and you know how great he was. And oh, yeah. We saw how great Kurt was, and those two between them have one Super Bowl championship. So it's really, really hard. I'm not going to begrudge Aaron Rodgers' career if he only winds up with one Super Bowl. But I love the fact that he is savoring it because I, I would think that probably for a long time he didn't and probably played football. You mentioned Mike McCarthy earlier. Probably wasn't having as much fun as he should have playing for Mike McCarthy. So I'm glad that he's able to recognize while he's still playing how fun it is. Especially this specific moment. You're in Green Bay. The conditions could be perfect for an iconic game. You're going against who everyone says is the greatest of all time. You have a path to the Super Bowl. You have something to prove. This is a moment that he's probably thought about his entire career. A moment like this to... Imagine if Aaron Rodgers goes on to win his second Super Bowl and through it, he gets a snowy game in Green Bay and he takes down Tom Brady. It it wouldn't get any better than that. And that'd be something to savor for the rest of his life. It'd be great. This is exactly how he would like to draw it up. So I'm glad he's living in the moment. But I do wonder if this is his last opportunity. They've got some free agents coming up, but they'll also get... Bakhtiari back next year. Devontae Adams is going to be there. They might actually draft a wide receiver this year. They could be better offensively. And the key is going to be how good is that defense? 
You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, an interesting inauguration day news dump yesterday mm-hmm. coming out of college football. Most people had their eyes trained to the events in our country and didn't notice that the Pac-12 decided to part ways with their commissioner, Larry Scott. It was a mutually, in air quotes, agreed upon parting of ways by the conference and Larry Scott. It marks the end of his 12-year tenure. This comes a year before his contract was set to expire. That was supposed to expire in June of 2020. And the conference is saying that they made this decision early so whoever is Larry Scott's successor can be in place to negotiate this next TV deal. And that's a big piece of this because a lot of people are looking at Larry Scott's tenure as the Pac-12 commissioner unfavorably because even though he signed that 12-year, $3 billion deal to start the Pac-12 network, and it was a big, big deal at the Mm -hmm. time, since then, the Big Ten and, of course, the SEC have certainly surpassed the Pac-12, not only from a business standpoint, from a revenue generation standpoint, but from what we've seen on the field with the Pac-12 not being represented in the college football playoff. Yeah, they just don't have any good teams. And we never talk about the Pac-12. I guess we've touched on Washington once and Oregon in the past, but it's not very often that we talk about the Pac-12 having a representative in the college football playoff. We actually talk more, I think, about two SEC teams or two ACC teams being in than one Pac-12 team. So from an on-field perspective and an off-field television perspective, he probably did not do things right. When you look at the, as you mentioned, the the revenues generated by especially the Big Ten and the SEC network, but the ACC as well, and the Big 12 is an outlier because they've got the Longhorn network and nobody wants to show the Big 12 when you can't have Texas. The Pac-12 should have been better. When you've got Seattle, you've got L.A., you've got Phoenix, and you're not able to get a better TV deal than that, that's a real problem. That's three top ten markets right there. Am I missing somebody? You got Denver, so that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So you you should have a lot better TV deal than they have. Also, information that's being brought to light in this conversation, this is from Yahoo Sports, but a lot of people have, have noted this, but I'm just going to read it directly from there, is that Larry Scott spent a lot of money. While not generating as much money as other conferences, he spent a lot of money. The Pac-12 Networks had this big headquarters, very lavish in San Francisco. It cost the conference about $7 million in rent per year. He had a $7,500 a night suite in Ooh, Las nice. Vegas. He had private jets that he used to get around the country. He had the the highest salary out of other people in college football in the nation. Adds up to an estimated $40 million in expenditures that he had throughout his tenure. I'll take the stuff at half the salary and I'll do a better job. (laughs) I think that they're going to be able to bring in somebody and slash those expenditures that probably would take the job for less. But this is a really, really important hire for them. It's huge because, and I didn't even mention San Francisco. So you've got Seattle, San Francisco, LA, Denver, Phoenix. You've got five top 10 markets. Huge. Yeah, there's no reason. And by the way, they're all, all of those markets really like their football teams. Washington is big. Cal and Stanford are big. USC and UCLA are big. Uh, Arizona State is big. So there's no excuse for them to not have a big-time, big-money TV deal, which, by the way, makes your football product better. 
it does. You're killing me, Smalls. Finally, Randy, we mentioned the inauguration day yesterday, and there's always a sports tie-in. To anything we talk about, there seems to always be a sports tie-in. And the sports tie-in yesterday was Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> we know that Jennifer Lopez, his betrothed, performed yesterday at the inauguration. But the internet, <laughs> while a gross place oftentimes, still can be undefeated in a lot of ways. And they're calling A-Rod Forrest Gump because he seems to constantly be popping up <laughs> at major <laughs> historical events, whether it's New Year's Eve or J-Lo. And it's always a J-Lo performance right. or of some sort, but it's New Year's Eve. It's the Super Bowl. It's the inauguration. He's always there, and he's always being a great Instagram boyfriend <laughs> documenting everything for her. But it just seems like any big event that happens, you're going to see A-Rod spotted in the crowd. I didn't think of it that way, but that is 100% correct. He <laughs> is Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. And he's all over Instagram about it. I follow him just because I think it's hilarious that A-Rod, who was an egomaniac, he was the biggest narcissist out there in mm-hmm. sports. there was He had a centaur painting of himself for crying out loud in his home. They did photos of him where he was kissing himself in the mirror. This was his identity. And now he's taken such a backseat to J-Lo and he's mm-hmm. fawning over her all the time. It's hilarious. But I just cannot believe, I will never, ever, ever get over the public turnaround that Alex Rodriguez has had. Michelle, it doesn't get any better than this. Do you, do you realize what you've just done? What? He's in love with Janie. Oh, my God. From the block? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jenny. Run, A-Rod, run. And life is like a box of chocolates with A-Rod. You never really know what you're going to get. <laughs> right. Pretty awesome. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin, our friend, and Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right. Here we are. It's Character and Smallman, 101 ESPN. We're headed towards Scoops with Danny Mac. Dan McLaughlin is with us now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, hey sir. guys. How are we? Everything's good. Good to see you. Awesome. Good to be with you guys. Put the microphone up. There we go. Oh, hey. There you go. Hi, guys. Good morning. Morning to you. How's microphone you? is up. Uh, we're we're rocking and rolling. We're ready to go. Good. Yeah, everything's great with me. How about you guys? Everything's terrific. Great. Except for the Blues losing to the Sharks in a shootout. I'll tell you what, man. Special teams got to get figured out. Not very yeah, good no last doubt. night. Not very good last night. Hasn't been good all year. Way too many penalties. Um, I thought Bennington was awesome last night. Mm-hmm. I thought he played great. Um I haven't seen enough of Krug to make a, a full evaluation, but we're just not seeing enough on special teams yet. And uh, I guess, I don't know what you guys think. I guess we'll we'll let it play out. It's only week, uh, week one, so we got plenty of time. But my initial take on the Blues has been I'm going to love the back-to-backs. I think the mm-hmm. NHL is going to do that moving forward. When we get back to normalcy, I think the, I think the back-to-back, there's something to it. I like it. There's just something to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you had a slash, is great. if you had a slash on somebody and it happened in, let's say, October of a game and you wouldn't face that team until December, would it really carry over to December? Ah, maybe. But if you had a slash in October and then you play him two nights later, would it carry over? You bet it would. 
I love that. As a fan, I kind of like the intensity of how these games are going. So even minus the fans, I think it's been pretty cool to watch. And in a couple of weeks, week after next, the Blues will see Colorado here, and mm-hmm. they'll face Valerie Nichuskin, and yeah. they'll have an opportunity to get some evens. Yeah, so that part's been good. Special teams is not. They got. They just got to figure it out. The last time the Blues had not scored a power play goal in their first four games was 1977. Randy couldn't even drive yet. Really? Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm not saying you're old. No, you can't. But that's a long time ago. <laughs> that is a really long time. I was really a youngster then. Yeah. So you're the old man of this crew. I totally am. <laughs> you're Uncle Randy, so no. that would have been Papa Randy, I guess, back then. That's true. Yeah. But one okay. thing that you do remember, Dan, yes. and Michelle, you probably don't remember old-time hockey, where it was an eye for an eye. And if Nachuskin does what he did to Bortuzzo, yep. he knows that he's going to pay a price. Yep. It might not be the next game, might be a couple games down the line, but he is going to pay a price. Well, that's when you would, back in the day, you'd roll out Chaser yep. or <laughs> Twist or somebody would be out there with that line. Or, you know, you'd find it, you'd find a time, you know, you're up by a couple goals, they're down by a couple goals, whatever. You, you roll, you, you find that matchup. Yeah, you, you got the last change. You, you figure it out, and I'll never forget doing a, a, a game and, and uh, working on the radio side. And Lindros was in town. It was a Saturday game, and I think the Flyers were up like eight to three. It was a day game, right? It was a day game yeah. on a Saturday, and Keenan sent out uh, Tony Twist to get after Lindros, and he chased him around the ice. I, I would bet it was a two and a half minute shift, <laughs> and he kept on taking his stick and hitting his back end and just trying to get him to go, and he would not go. But that was what hockey was like back then. You don't see that nearly as much, if ever, anymore. But I do kind of miss some of that stuff. For people that say they don't want fighting, I get it. You know, they can't have fight. But do you ever stop and go, well, hey, there's a fight going on. I'm going to go grab a beer. No, (laughs) no, you're going to watch. When it was part of the sport, and every team had a tough guy, and you knew they were going to fight, you could predict it. And that was one of the great things. Like, you remember the Rob Ray game. Oh, yeah. So Rob Ray comes into town with Buffalo, and he is chirping about how he's going to beat up Twist. And somebody comes over and tells Twist, man, Rob Ray's saying he's going to beat the hell out of you. And you don't say that about Tony Twist. So they get out on <laughs> that. if you're in your right mind. No. So if, <laughs> right. do a YouTube Sound search mind. <laughs> for Tony Twist Rob Ray. And Tony Twist just pummeled him in the space of about 15 seconds. Yep. And he, Ray is skating off the ice and his eye is all swollen up. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, there were fun fights like that. I, You know what's interesting when you talk to the fighters and, they, and you ask them, like, did you really enjoy your role? And they said, well, it was my job. But guys really did. I mean, they were nervous, man. How could you not be nervous being a fighter? Yep. And I they mean, were all friends. All friends, they go out and get beers afterwards and hang out and family sometimes are friends. Um, crazy, man. It just that was kind of the beauty of the sport though. Yeah. But they you know, going back to last night, I thought it was kind of an ugly hockey game too. The penalties on both sides. I mean, Blues had seven penalties and the third period was not pretty either. I mean, I, I thought the Sharks really dominated the third period, but Bennington kept in it uh, in it and you know, they the Blues get a point and now I think it's going to be an interesting weekend because you, you have the back-to-backs. And so now let's see what you have in Ville Huso. This is going to be a really key component for the Blues this season. The way I have it, guys, I don't know if you agree, but I, I figure that 
Huso plays at least 15 games. So that's 30 points on the table. I would say he plays at least 15, maybe 17 games. So now you're talking 34. So you get your first look at a start with him this weekend. Yeah, definitely. I would think on a back-to-back. So maybe not, but um, that would be my guess. And if you do... You know, you, you got a better understanding of what, maybe what your season looks like. You got to find out what he is. Yeah, yeah. What did you think, Michelle? I just watched that fight. I wonder if Rob Ray has recovered from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not. There's His, maybe a concussion or two in there. Think about how hard you have to be hit over and over for your eye to swell instantly on impact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Usually that happens over time. He, he was swelling on yeah. impact as he's skating off. I I did a feature one time for Fox. Randy, I bet you remember this guy. He had. Long, stringy hair for the Blackhawks uh, fighter. Not overly big. I can't, I man, I wish I could remember it. And I did a fight. It wasn't Grimson, was it? No, no. It wasn't a guy like you would think of okay. um, that kind of fighter that you would always think, like Stu Grimson. He w- yeah. wasn't one of those. The Grim it, Reaper. It wasn't the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Great name. Uh, wasn't Twist, wasn't Chase. But it, the, anyway, it was on Tony Twist. And I put the, the uh, video to classical music. <laughs> like... You know, this beautiful classical music, and I slowed down the video, and the camera just happened to be um, right in the corner. So it was a, I mean, front row view. And to your point, Michelle, Twist got a hold of his sweater, so he had the inside portion of the sweater, and the the fighter on the opposite side of the Hawks could not get it. He couldn't swing. He he was just at the mercy of Tony Twist. And so we slow moded and he just kept on putting him out, <laughs> bringing him back in, taking him back out, putting him back into the fist. And I was like, how does this guy get back up on his skates and skate over to the to his bench, get over the boards and go back to his locker room to get stitched up? He had to get stitched up and then go back out and two nights later and do this again. Yeah. I mean, and for 82 games, it was crazy how hard yeah. Tony Twist was pounding this Poor guy. I cannot. I, man, I wish I could remember who it was. But anyway, but he Peluso? had the long. No, he, and he had the long stringy hair, so his helmet was off, and that's what made it even better because his hair was going back and forth and back <laughs> and forth with every punch. But it was unbelievable how hard those guys were pummeling each other. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, which leads me into what's coming up on the show. We're going to talk concussions. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Before we get to concussions, can we do one story that? You, yeah. It struck me when you talked about Twister going after Lindros. And you Do you remember that this. game? Yeah. It was I, awesome. I was, I was at that game. It was great. And we all hated Lindros. Yes. Because he was such a jerk. So anyway, the Blues are in. Pretty good and player, and This is like 91. It, it, so Hully scores the 86 goals in 90-91. So this is like 91-92. I think it's the first part of the 91-92 season. Blues are in L.A. Tie game late. And Brett Hull is out on the ice. Stoppage in play with 150 left in a tie game. Uh, Richie Sutter is on the team. The Blues have made the trade for Richie, so it was at that point in the season. Or Hard no, work is the trade for too, Ronnie. You know. Yeah. So, but but Brian Sutter sends out Richie to go out onto the ice, and Richie gets out there, tries to take over right wing, and Holly says, "Get off the ice! I'm not leaving the ice." So Richie dutifully turns around. You guys <laughs> scored 86 goals last year. You got to come back to the bench. And uh, Richie says he's staying out there. He won't let me take his spot. And Brian Sutter said, okay. They play for another 35 seconds. Play stops. Now you've got like 115 left. Tries to send Richie out again. And uh, Hully says, I'm not leaving the ice. Go back. And Brian Sutter starts yelling at Hully and says, Hully, get in here. Get in here. 
I'm not leaving the ice. Another mm-hmm. shift, about 30 seconds. So now there's 45 seconds left. Tries to send Richie out. This is a, a face-off near the Blues bench. And uh, now they're cursing at each other. Blanken, get back here. I'm not leaving the Blanken ice. About 20 seconds into the ne- next shift, 25 seconds left, Hull scores. Comes back to the ice and says, we aren't going to blank in overtime in blank in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> That's typical, Holly. Yeah, it was classic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when uh, Tony and Tony Twist, I think, flipped the puck uh, and put himself off sides in training camp. And who gave this guy a sweater? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one with, uh, for whatever reason, on uh, one practice day. Whoever the coach was put Basil McRae on left wing on a line with Hully on practice. Hull passes to him. It bounces. Basil was a tough guy. The puck bounces off his stick. And Hully says, what part of the tape do you want me to hit with my passes? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen what Basil's doing now? No. He's like running marathons. He's, really? Yeah, oh yeah, he's in great shape. It's incredible. I uh, saw it on social media the other day. He's just Keeps himself in amazing shape. They're tough guys, man. They yep. can do it. And when you talk about the real start of youth hockey in St. Louis. Oh, and, he's a big part of yeah, it. Yeah, huge part of yep. those five St. Louis kids getting drafted in the first round. He got a lot of that started. No doubt. No doubt. It's pretty right. cool. So pretty we're cool talk to see. Concussions. Yep, concussions. See what's going on with Mahomes. I mean, we hear about the protocols, and it made me wonder, like, what are the protocols? You know, he's got to go through the protocols. Yeah. We, you know, he's got to go through this one and this one and this. What are they? So I think it's of interest. And I'm going to visit with Chris Wolf, and he's kind of the local uh, concussion doctor of so many sports, whether it's pro, college, even youth. So if you do have a kid out there, it, it is interesting. Um, I talked to him off the air about this, about what Mahomes is going through. And he's dealt with a lot of the pro athletes here in town about what you have to go through to just get the green light to play. Um, and then we talk, uh, I, I want to get into CTE, um, which I, I I find fascinating. I mean, you guys have movie concussion. Yep. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and then uh, obviously talk about the blues and uh, see where else our show takes us. Dan, you played a lot of sports. Michelle, you were a soccer player and concussions are really prevalent, especially among girls yeah. in soccer. Do you Have you ever had a concussion, you think? Not that I know of, but probably. Yeah. Absolutely. You have? Yes. I don't Diagnosed? think I have. Uh, one was, one, and many probably not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Played I... Played football, yeah. I was a striker, a lot of head balls. I'm sure that I had concussions that I wasn't aware of at the time. Yeah. yeah. And if you ever listen to me, I think you pretty much know I probably did. Yeah. By the way, Michelle was... Uh, I, I used to think that she was just an all-state player. She was like the the Illinois player of the year. Is that right? <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. <laughs> did you play in college? No, did not. Did you want to play in college? She, I did not. She I had, very easily could have. She I was had like no the best interest in, the in playing in college. Yeah? You know the, the time commitment it is to be a collegiate athlete, Dan? I was uh, ready to party. <laughs> yeah, I did it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> yeah, and then I saw, I saw my brother play major Division One college football, and that was... Eye opener, huh? Oh my goodness! <laughs> this is another subject, but if you're telling me that these kids shouldn't be getting paid, you're out of your mind. No doubt, it's a full time job. It's a full time job. Looking forward to scoops. Okay, looking forward to it. Emily Butcher, our producer engineer today, doing great work. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, as always, Michelle, this was fun. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. Thank you, folks, for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Let me guess. 
unknown caller. You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.